Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Greetings, listeners of the People's Democratic Republic of Podcast. Today, I am annoyed a lot, and uh, it's because the subject of today's conversation will be ideologies and religions and their role in politics. My guest today is the brave Sir David. Hello! Sorry, was I not supposed to cut in there? No, it's fine. (laughs) Sorry. It's going to be left in. I'm used to jumping in as soon as my name's mentioned. It's like a Pavlovian response now. It's a heavy... It was supposed to happen last week, but then I went on this three-day trip where the Soviet cars and everything, so it was left for today. And a lot of things have happened since then. For example, I have gotten a ridiculous amount of, you know, these tanky comments about that, oh... They they listen to my episodes because I've I've got a new influx of listeners. That always happens at the at the beginning of months. So and and I've got a bunch of new comments and I don't know how many of them are actual people, how many of them are like paid trolls, but you know, socialism has never really been tried anywhere, man. And stuff like that. And then I just point out to Hugo Chavez and stuff and uh and what's going on in Venezuela. And then they're like, no, that's not real socialism. And then I ask them, what is real socialism? And then they say, Sweden. And then, then I point out that, no, no, no. Of all the places, Sweden is one thing that is actually not real socialism. Because they have private property and everything. And and then 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 all all the terrible things happen. But yeah, at one point, uh, you know, when, when you're preparing for an episode and you're getting all these angry emails, and especially when you're touching Stalin or like my very last episode on, on the eastern border, Stalin versus Tito, uh, this, this, this gets complicated, and uh, all these angry mails, angry responses, and personal attacks from both sides that sometimes happen when I criticize one side or the other, or, you know, whatever side, because we have more than two here in Latvia, uh, they, kind of, they kind of make me feel strange, because... I recently I reread Pirigorsky and he spoke about a pre-revolution society. It's like uh, you might you might find this familiar because 
it's, it works about like this. I mean, um, if you go to a store and just buy sausage, then you live in a normal society. But if your, your choice of which sausage to buy depends on your political views, then you live in a kind of a, in a society of total politicization. See, uh, at the society of total politicization, just before the revolution, mind you, just like in the French Revolution or October Revolution or your own American Revolution in 1776, everything becomes politics. It's like you can't do anything without politics. What bread you buy or what sausage you buy at the store, that's also political. Everything becomes political. You live and breathe politics because for some reason polit your, the political issues have reached a point where everything that happens is political and then the side that goes more to the barricades kind of wins. And uh, the Russian philosopher Pitygorsky, he's uh, sadly dead now, he he wrote about the situation in the country where everything becomes totally politicized, and he kind of wrote this theory of revolutions. And he mentioned there that there kind of you you can spot a country where revolution is about to become about to start by looking at these signs of everything becoming political and about total politicization happening the way that you think even becomes political. But he also wrote a dangerous thing that from every revolution ever there comes a certain kind of oligarchy or ruling class. Uh, the worst case, it's a totalitarian country, because, you know, totalitarianism just is a natural extension of this revolutionary total politics, because totalitarianism also uses uh, uses uh, these politics to control its people, as everything is politics, and so the government controls, about the, po controls the politics. That's how Stalin's regime worked, or at least kind of an oligarchy, uh, which happened in... in uh, in the French Revolution, with with the Jacobins and everything, so I kind of thought about the situation and and wanted to ask you, David, for the first question ever, and this might be a difficult question. Um, I mean, do, do you, can you can you spot something like this? Because I feel like it is the case in a lot of Western societies, including here, and even in Russia with their Navalny and everything. It's kind of kind of like this Western world, and I don't I don't even know how to precisely define this term but let's just say eu and and america and well there are also kind of interesting struggles going on right now in japan but that's for another another episode just that do you feel this politicization of uh, the everyday life in in your own life uh, david because i certainly do i certainly do and uh, i live in latvia and i feel the politicization of your country of america over here because of, of all the emails that I get and all well, the messages. You, you make me feel a little bit self-conscious there just by virtue of the fact that um, it, it's weird coming out and realizing that my country's politics are so deeply felt by everybody else. Um, and honestly, well, with the way that things currently go, it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, for, for the listener's benefit, and a little bit for yours too, Chris, um, I, I think you may mention that um, you were having a more conservative uh, guest on for this particular for episode, one? am I right? Why? You said that... The, Why did I Basically, uh, you would... You would uh, hinted towards... I'm sorry, man. This is like in one of the Eastern Border episodes, I think, you had said, uh, next PDRP, uh, I'm going to have a little bit more of a conservative guy on for this one. We're going to be talking about religion oh, yeah, and ideology. Well, and, you, you know, maybe by European standards, I am kind of conservative. Um... Oh yeah, you are. So I so I introduced yeah. you as such. Well, you sort, sort of, of are. Yeah, and you know, granted, I, if 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 one can maintain anything resembling a middle ground stance in the uh, in the uh, see, people get weird about when you say deep south. You can be from South Carolina, like I am, kind of, and 
uh, you know, they'll, they'll think of South Carolina as like the stereotypical southern state. I mean, that's where, you know, <laughs> that's where we're never in the news for anything good. In South Park, when they had the episode... Did you did you ever watch South Park, Chris? Oh, yeah, I love the show. Yeah, you, you remember the episode where they had the... Uh, dude, this made it into, like, a grad school class that I was in, is how iconic this one was. The, the, uh, the Civil War reenactment episode? And Cartman gets mad because he finds out that the Confederacy is the losing side, and he just chose them because they were the racist... Okay, before I open up that can of worms. They, they were the side on which he would get to pretend to have slaves, so he chose to cosplay uh, General Lee. And uh, and then, he, then when he found out that he was going to lose a bet because the Confederacy loses, he's like, fuck it, we're taking this uh, reenactment on the warpath, and they started like taking over the country with pop guns. South Park, Civil War reenactors, they, they end up holing up in Fort Sumter in South Carolina where the very first shots of the Civil War were fired uh, when the U.S. Army finally comes out to, you know, tell these reenactors with pop guns to cut their shit out. And then they hear a rebel yell rise up and they look over their shoulders and all these people in Confederate uniforms are just charging down the hills and suddenly it's the U.S. Army that is surrounded. And they're like, oh, wow, look, the entire state of South Carolina came to help. Well, I like, mean, look, we are the stereotypical southern state, but if you say the deep south, people get weird about it. Like, you know, well, technically it's places like Louisiana that are the deep south. But anyway, that's an unnecessarily long tangent. What I mean to say is if I'm able to maintain something like a middle ground stance in this part of the country, I mean, yeah, I guess I have to be uh, have at least a few conservative bones in my body. But... Um, what I'm leading into with that preface is that, um, am I allowed to state openly that I have an immense hate on for our current Cheeto Prime, El Presidente, uh, you know, African slash South American style self-fashioned, uh, I'll, I'll stop laying on the hyperbole. I don't really like Donald Trump at all. I just, I just find him incompetent, yeah. actually. And this, and, and well, this is, by the way, which, of which uh, a lot of very conservative people could agree, because I've gotten a lot of complaints about the fact that, you know, even if you're a very conservative person who agrees to all of the Donald Trump's kind of, you know, what he ran on, he's just not doing any conservative things. Yeah, he's doing some faux-totalitarian things, but, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like Glenn in that I, I, I can't help but sigh a little bit whenever... Someone calls him a fascist or a Nazi or whatever, because that would require him to have some friggin' ideology. And I don't think he does. He's just really selfish, but... Um, fascism, but I guess... fascism implies efficient efficient totalitarian state control. Are you run efficiently? <laughs> not right now, we're not. Well, not that we were beforehand either, but, you know. Um, I, I, just, I... I personally have to state that I just hate politicians. Yeah, well, you know... It's a thing. Uh, I think we can agree on this. You, you, you're a Star Trek. That's right. You mentioned you didn't really watch much Star Trek, did did you? No, I watched a couple of episodes of the New Generation. It seemed like I, I put it on the same boredom and awfulness scale as uh, as Doctor Who, which I also don't like. No wonder you're getting so much hate mail, man. Uh, but in all seriousness, though, um, I, I kind of grew up watching The Next Generation, and Captain Picard is still one of my childhood heroes as uh, stuffy and erudited as he kind of would be seen by most people. 
Huh. I wonder if that's how I ended up like this. Eh, anyway, there's there's a line where one of the kids that's grown up on the ship, uh, you know, and is kind of trying to ease his way into being part of the crew, has screwed up majorly. I can't even remember the context. I just remember the little speech that he gives him where, you know, Picard stands up and he gives him his best Patrick Stewart scowl, and he's all, The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, be it scientific truth, or philosophical truth, or historical truth. And, you know, rails on about all that. And if you can't find it in yourself to stand up for the truth, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. And Donald but- Trump just unhands the truth in such a way that is mind-boggling to me, and I'm deeply troubled for the course of the country for that. And uh, that that would be the case whether I was, you know, feeling more conservative that day or more liberal that day. Um, generally, I just want people to not be terrible to each other and for everyone to get what they need. But yeah, this yeah. is this is the thing. This is the thing that also people people before we get into our deep discussions is that I have see I I didn't like I didn't much like anyone else who ran for the president in your country either. Yeah, it's it's just it's a thing. I just didn't like them, but uh, I don't have any hatred against those who voted for him. Because that there's a difference. A lot of people kind of automatically assume that uh, if if you don't like a politician, you also also kind of have to hate everyone who voted for him. I am yeah. totally not on that camp. I am absolutely refuse to be on that camp. Well, because because hating on the voters is you know hating on what was your what was your election activity by the way? How many how many what was the percentage of people that actually voted this year? It was only it was only about fifty percent, I think, which is yeah, yeah, you know, what, what a you lot ha- of people turned out for this one too. It was like a high turnout election, and still only about half of the people in the country voted. Um, yeah, no, it's it's the level of participation and disinterest here is pretty crippling, but yeah. Well, see, so, you know. If if you start hating on the people who actually went to vote, it is kind of silly because you know they actually voted. These are the people who decided that it was important for them, and important enough for them to actually participate in the political processes of the country, and who actually cared about how your country would end up in the future. Sure, they might have made uh, some mistakes, as some people think. By the way, either way, uh, yeah. but hating on the people who actually, you know, went to participate in the political process, is, you know, is kind of silly if you think about it. Because you know, at least they did went and vote. Vote. They they didn't stay at home. They yeah. really did their best. So for voting alone, you can't really hate on them because they at least have enough responsibility to actually go to the ballot box and cast their vote. Well, I'm going to cut you off there, man, because at least a few thousand people, grown-ass adults, at least legally speaking, got up, went out to vote, and voted for Harambe, the gorilla that was shot early in 2016. What's wrong with that? They voted for a gorilla, damn it! Uh, And... How how is this wrong? I think it's stupid, but that's just... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like it's like not voting but wasting gas money as if you had voted. <laughs> but that's that's just me being all haram. 
silliness and such. Do you hate gorillas, man? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Harambe, Harambe was was just no. an example of of uh, tragic tragic things happening, really. But it was it was um, <laughs> it was mostly stupid. But uh, yeah. So you you've actually touched on something though. I didn't I do think. it on purpose. And I'm sorry. I'm the sorry, hatred man. of. <laughs> Well, uh, if if you want to use this as a segue in, Excellent. then I think let's, this let's, is a great go. opportunity. But with, um, see, if not, then, but, um, or how I like to call you on this show, citizens. Uh, recently, I, I another segue of all these things. I listen. I listen to a lot of pol- other pol- American political shows, uh, like Slate's Political Gab Fest, Vox the Weeds, Trumpcast, Ben Shapiro's show. Uh, Tom Woods show from all from all spectrums of the sides and all of them decided to comment on that immigration thing which just happened with the kind of and by the way can you can someone explain why all of your American laws just must be these stupid acronyms because that's what you do uh they sound cool we I think it's because we grew up watching 80s uh military movies and they use a lot of acronyms yeah so but you have you can you you have you have those, but yeah, the idea was that you know, uh, it kind of this, as as far as I get it, uh, the latest latest addition to these laws is the, the one that severely limits immigration, and one of one of the criticisms of this whole thing was that was that basically uh, it, it can be kind of un, be kind of unconstitutional. One of the arguments against all this thing was. Uh, <laughs> How to explain this in a civilized manner? Um, first starters, the first argument was that it's non-American because of what's because of what's written on your Statue of Liberty, and and the other part, even even though uh, it really shouldn't matter that much as it it doesn't matter that much what's written on the Statue of Liberty. It's not a law or anything, but and the other thing was the fact that uh, this this guy basically told that. James Akoti, as far as I remember, he told that you know if you limit the immigration to only to those who knew who know English, you essentially limit the immigration to Australia and UK only. And I have two objections to, to this. First off, he missed New Zealand and Malta. Both countries have English as their primary language. And secondly, well, I speak English. This show is in English, and we over here get taught English in schools starting with like first or second grade, depending on the country. Like, everyone born after, say, 1980 speaks English, in these parts, at least. So, and India, India has more English speakers than the UK. So, it's kind of like, I understand his idea that, you know, the United States should accept more immigrants, but he positioned it in a way that I thought was wrong and made everyone else outside of these Anglo-Saxon countries, so to speak, look like dumb people. Which is bad. Well, obviously. Yeah, I I think that this again th- this this again is an interesting thing to discuss when it comes to ideologies because uh, what what he essentially did, especially when it comes to the Statue of Liberty, was he made a logical fallacy. He applied to tradition, like you know, he argumented to tradition. That's a fallacy <laughs> because just because something is the tradition <laughs> doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> and but he uh, but. That is so. That is so. But the the what what made this interesting to me is that he comes from political sort of spectrum or side or whatever that essentially 
tends to it, it it tends to basically he comes from the party who usually points out at the other guys and, and you know points out that they're using this logical fallacy. And if they're using it themselves, that's that's really bad. So let's start with this. How important is traditionism in, in America and and yeah, I, I spotted really hypocrisy here. <laughs> How come what what's going on for me as a non-American? I'm right, sure this will so, be interesting too. Other so people half the reason that I even felt confident enough to like you know try to come on here was um, back in grad school. My area of focus was public memory, um, especially on America pre 1868. I think was about the year cutoff point. Um, you know, once you get into anything in American history past, like, Reconstruction, my knowledge of it is uh, probably going to be kind of fuzzy. And even such, since I went the public history path, um, I know how to find stuff on what I don't know, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't know as much as, like, a pre-doc or actual, um, you know, PhD historian would, uh, just because a lot of my training was more in interpretation and, uh, what's the word, preservation of... Uh, you know, materials as well as the information itself. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that I cut my teeth on was, you know, uh, the, the development of, you know, kind of political climate and that kind of stuff, especially in the Southeast, because that's what I had access to the most primary sources for, of, uh, you know, the American Revolution, uh, differences between the loyalist and rebel factions and all that kind of stuff. And basically... Um, Basically, I can tell you straight away that after all the time I've spent pouring over stuff from, like, you know, our founding fathers and, you know, local statesmen and that kind of stuff and clergy, tradition is what you make of it, and everyone will try to use every single shred of it they can to forge their own part of the narrative and make themselves right. I know, we're, we're treading into, like, really revolutionary territory here, right, Christophs? I mean, this... Nothing outrageous in saying that, but basically we're, we're in the midst of a long-standing and proud American tradition. Um, and... Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. I, I so see what, what, what you what you, like, the, the reason I was saying you touched on something was you were talking about the, the voters hating each other. Did you know that... Benjamin Franklin, one of the most famous men of the Revolutionary Age, raised, or sired, raised, and then cut ties with a son who was himself a loyalist. Wait, what? Yeah, while, while you get what I mean by saying loyalist, right? Yep, I do. Yeah, okay, yeah. He was, his son wanted to remain loyal to the British crown rather than try to, you know, declare independence and establish the United States as their own sovereign country. And Franklin did not even speak to his son after the war was over. Like, that caused a permanent rift between them. And out here in my neck of the woods, especially out in the frontier areas, people were you know, rallying to their uh, political sides, oftentimes based on whatever army was marching through at the time, you know, once you got into the later parts of the war when the British army actually did come down into the South, 
or more often what the local, uh, you know, big man or uh, planter elite, you know, the local aristocracy, even Gen- if that's not quite the... General uh, secretary for my Eastern European listeners. We understand this term better. <laughs> yeah, or, or you might say like a, like a hetman or something, or an alderman. <laughs> You know, basically, whatever your local community leaders uh, gravitated towards, that would oftentimes inform your choice. Yeah. The, the dude. He was the dude. He was the dude. Yeah, except he wasn't, uh, you know, chilling out wearing casual clothing and drinking lots of black Russians or white Russians or whatever and smoking weed and stuff like the dude. He was, you know, drinking his rum and all, ah, I say, and aligning with whatever his political and economic interests were. But um, I digress, because we're trying to talk about religion and ideology here, and in order to do that, I've got to dial it back a bit, because as far as American... Okay, sure. So what? I, ha- I, ha- I, have th- I have thrown a bunch of questions to you, and now you have to comprehend what I actually asked you and give me a clear answer, and then be ready, because I'm going to poke you for the, for the holes in your answer. Right, okay, so... Welcome to Gulag. <laughs> Welcome to Gulag. <laughs> okay, so d- does that mean you want me to, like... Go on, okay. go on. I'll ask questions. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Um, the narrative that we give for... Uh, you know what? Let me, let me tell this with a different story. Let me start with a story. Okay. Because I had some friends who went to, like, uh, one of the um, early colonies. I believe it was Jamestown they went to. And they had some guy that was, like, a former uh, marine instructor... And he points out someone in his tour group, and he's like, You there! Explain to me what America was founded for! What the first settlements in America were founded for! And they're like, For religious freedom, the pilgrims came over here so they could worship freely. No! America was founded for money! That's a noble goal. Yeah. Well, because the the first colonies were established to, well, you know, make money the way that colonies are done. And that's understandable. That's not, like, undermining the national narrative or anything like that. But, but, that knee-jerk narrative reaction of America was founded to, you know, or rather the first colonies in America, like uh, Plymouth, were founded for religious freedom, yes, because England at the time, we're talking in, like, the 17th century, was a hotbed for all these different sectarian differences because of the Protestant Revolution. Thank you kindly, Protestant Revolution. Because, I mean, the number of weird sects and weird sects at that that they had cropping up in England was mind-boggling. And because England had a state church, and they were already having but, enough but, trouble mm-hmm. with, you know... Just, just let me explain. Yeah. By that point, weird sects cropping up in England was basically their everyday hobby. Yeah. It was, it was, what, you, it was what you did. Essentially. Yeah. Every time people around here start arguing about whether or not you should always wear nicest of your nice clothes to church, and how that's like the way that you should always do it, and every proper Christian will tell you that that's true, I always have to laugh and tell them about the way that the Quakers would, or the Society of Friends, rather, as they would sometimes be called, would uh, crash uh, Anglican worship services. Have you heard about how they would do this? Not really. Over here, we only smashed icons. A Quaker would walk up to the door of an Anglican church and shuck off every stitch of clothing on their body 
And then they would go hustling inside, throw open the doors, display their nude glory to the entire church and start yelling, you know, about the vices and evils of their pretensions and their gilded threads and their prideful dress. We're all the same. God made each and every one of us with the same sorts of bodies. Look upon me and see thyself! And so on and so forth. And then I'm sure they would get dragged out with, uh, you know, all sorts of things being made to cover their nudity. But, uh... There were a lot of puritanical colonies cropping up all throughout New England. And, of course, smattered in there, you had Quakers, uh, you had Calvinists... And, of course, you had a lot of, you know, because cause a lot of the northern United States was founded, or at least like in Newark, especially, founded by Dutch people. And, you know, so that's where you get all your Calvinism, your Protestant work ethic, and your, uh, you know, oh, I must be God's favorite because I'm rich kind of stuff. And, boy, does that color the American work ethic as time goes by, but that's a, a whole other bag of worms there. The reason I'm pointing to the Puritans is because their influence on the area is the kind of thing that you'll be able to see cropping up in the sectional crisis in the 19th century where the divide between Oh yeah uh, yeah this this this, this is why you say, this is why one one thing that we don't understand is that, that this is why you kind of have censorship on all the nipples Yeah that too This this is the thing which frankly speaking we in Europe like if if you had like if you had to pick a number one joke that you make about Americans is that they are those weird people who who kind of censor nipples for some reason. <laughs> well, we we sometimes cut out aggressive violence. Like if a movie gets shown on TV, nipples probably won't be censored. Like if if a movie is shown after like nine p.m. Yeah. or something, we sometimes do kind of cut out some extra gory violence though, but rarely. If if it's if it's like a if a movie starts at 9 p.m., then the violence might be kind of toned down. If a movie is after 11 p.m., then, you know, everything yeah. goes. Well, now, now this is a point where I need to, like, lay down a... blow up a misconception here. The Puritans did not hate sex. They only hated extramarital sex. And they would horrifically mock you for it, too. But, uh, that's... <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that's, uh... <laughs> okay, no, go on, go on. Um, okay, so I was I was going to get into a few different primary source materials here on this, and and lest someone think that I'm being ungenerous, or ungenerous, yeah, ungenerous here by uh, talking about American religious and uh, political uh, mergings uh, by starting off with the Puritans, well, everything has to start somewhere, and uh, I'm a historian, so fuck it, uh, get used to this. So, one of the things I want to start off with was, um, let's start with a little thought experiment, eh, Christophs? I want you sure. to imagine that you, Christophs, are God. And you have many powers, many things. You are infinite, as God is infinite. But there is one thing, one, one, one single thing that you and all of your infinite mercy and infinite power and infinite infiniteness 
can only so barely bring yourself to do this one thing that so tests your powers of omnipotence and omnipresence that you can scarcely restrain it. Do you know what this one little thing is that could possibly challenge your infinite might? Free beer for everyone? Well, that's kind of hard, you know. Well, you're right. It's like, but this, <laughs> no, but this, this, but this, this, by the way, comes from a joke. It's like, uh, sidetracking, but it's <laughs> fine. This is, a, this is, this is one of the long shows. There, there's this uh, Soviet anecdote. I'm sorry, they have to be everywhere, but it's basically, you know, you know these, these jokes about a man catching a goldfish and getting three yes, wishes and stuff? Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's one, like, there's a Russian fisherman, and he's like, Soviet, in the Soviet Union, and he catches a goldfish, and the goldfish kind of grants him three wishes, so that, you know, uh, he let, her, he, he let her kind of go away. And the first wish of, of this Soviet man is that, well, how about, how about you turn all the water in all the rivers into vodka? Like, all the rivers and lakes, they, they now contain only vodka. And the goldfish says, well, of course, done. And then the Soviet man, and what's your second wish? And the Soviet man just, just, you know, sips some water from the river. He's fishing in, and he, he drinks it, and it's, it's really vodka. And he think, and he's like, think, thinks about it. What, what more could he want? And he's like, uh, and, oh yeah, and, and now turn all the water in all the oceans and all the seas as well into vodka. And the goldfish says, well, this is dumb too. Well, what's your third fun final wish? And, and he kind of thinks in his head, and it's like, why, all, all the water in the world is now vodka. All of it, um, uh, um, ah, just give me another liter of vodka and, you know, go away. <laughs> oh, man. I love fish jokes, oh my gosh. That's... This is, this is, this is more of a vodka cultural yeah. joke, but your study was really impressive. It just, that it's, it's kind of like, ah, well. Yeah. I'd take vodka. Yeah, that... yeah. Well, okay, what, what's, the, what's the moral of okay, this Okay, so this thing is... The, the, the idea is that the one thing that God and his infinite might and his infinite mercy is so horribly pressed and strained to resist is his equally infinite anger! I speak, of course, of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon... On the Danger of the Unconverted, titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Preached at Enfield, July well, that's kind of, 1741. That sounds, that sounds like really scary. Oh, <laughs> boy is it. He starts off, and mind you, one thing I found as I was going back over some of these uh, 18th century things, they really, really smatter in the... Um, like, just the, the ability to just, like, rattle in uh, Bible verse citations constantly is a little bit mind-boggling. Um, like, uh, I, I having grown up Christian and, and, and been very seriously invested in it, it's still mind-boggling to me, and that makes me a little bit uh, self-conscious in that regard. But um, he starts off talking about um, a verse from... Gosh... Well, sorry, now I'm... Deuteronomy! That was it. He... And this is their amazing ability to, like, just cherry-pick out one little, like, fragment of a sentence and base something off of that. Deuteronomy 32-35. Their foot shall slide in due time. And he pulls from this, basically... And that is the opening of his sermon, by the way. He pulls from this talk of how 
this is about how the Israelites are going to slip and fall and probably die and stuff. <laughs> and stuff. And stuff. Dying and stuff. <laughs> because, because sin and stuff. Like sin. Okay, let me, let me, let me get a little more serious here then. <laughs> but, average, average hobbies of average yeah, Well, boy is it, especially if you listen to this guy. Um, cause he's talking about how, you know, He's referring to the fire and brimstone kind of hellfire and damnation, punishment and wrath, Old Testament stuff. Um, popular subject with this guy and a lot of puritanical creatures. But he's talking about the implications of this idea that in time their foot will <clears throat> slip. There, there, there I say it was all the rage. All the rage! <laughs> well played, sir. Um, you know, but he, he pulls on the ideas that from this little sentence fragment, we can pull that these Israelites, the verse refers to, were always exposed to this danger of slipping and falling and being destroyed. It implies that they were not only always exposed to it, they were always exposed to sudden and unexpected destruction. And it implies... Well, well, te well, te well technically... Technically... Yes. Well, technically, he's kind of correct. Oh, yeah, of course. If if you if you think about it, uh, okay, I missed the point again. But carry on. <laughs> it, I, I'm having I'm I'm just having a lot of fun here because, you know, when when someone when someone starts talking about real anger and total destruction of various peoples, it kind of makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I know, right? F is for fires that burn down the whole town. U is for uranium bombs. N is for no survivors. All right. We're leaving. We're leaving this part in. <laughs> Brilliant. We are so leaving this part. In. <laughs> okay. Oh man. So so yeah, he's talking about how the, the the implications of their feet shall slip in due time. So destruction, always exposed to it, always exposed to sudden and unexpected destruction. The third thing, they're always exposed to destruction that they are liable to fall in of themselves without having to be thrown in by the hand of another. They are also implied that the reason, I'm going to quote here, quote, that the reason why they are not fallen already and don't fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God won't hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then, at that very instant, they shall fall into destruction, as he that stands in a such slippery declining ground on the hedge of a pit that he can't stand alone when he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. The observation from the words that I would now insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. That's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, I've, 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 read, I've read a lot of Master Eckhart of, of the 12th century, and he was one of the ancient mystics. By the way, and this is interesting for you, uh, all of the Elder Scrolls mythology is basically based upon his writings. Seriously? Oh, wow. Elder, Elder Scrolls cosmology is based on the writings of a 12th century German monk who really thought about mysticism and how to basically reveal God to oneself. 
with 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 these introspective ideas and that if if you if you kind of go deep enough into his thing that basically you can kind of become one with with god he's he's weird because there's a lot of uh, eastern ideas but he hadn't encountered them but essentially if you know how dwarves disappeared the same f according to master eckhart he would uh, of course comment that the the dwarves in that setting had obviously reached enlightenment so basically i need to sit down and read some books about the setting in which there's a game in which i sit down and read a bunch of books or something. It's a long story, but uh, I, I, you know, my master, my master's was about video games and art form, so I learned about this. And yeah, basically, his idea was the fact that you, you kind of, just, just taking, taking everything literally from the Bible is kind of wrong because of reading the Bible should be a metaphysical journey through your uh. own understanding and the, the true kind of. Basically, the, the the true stuff of of the Bible comes from you reading it and you. From the introspection of reading of the Bible, it is just, you know, you just don't read it and, and don't take everything as is. The the true revelations of God come from when you read the Bible and you kind of kind of meditate upon what's written there and you discover the, those truths for yourself and stuff like that. Okay, that makes sense. I can't imagine it went over too well in, um, <laughs> in, a, in a place where most people weren't able to read the Bible and the church was a okay. Oh no, no, that, he also but... he also got excommunicated later on. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> okay. So, um, but, but yeah, but, but I personally like his like his his writings. Uh, this another thing. It's like as 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 usual in the show. Obscure philosopher is recommended by Krista. <laughs> Well, hey, I think that's good. We need more of that. Oh, man. See, so, so, part of the reason I point so much to the Puritans in this, and, and Sinners of the, in the Hands of an Angry God is a, a bit of a lengthy one. I, I actually, um, in, in preparation for this, um, in addition to, you know, picking out some selections, uh, just re-listened to the whole thing in its entirety, and it took a little over half an hour to listen to the whole thing, um, with a you know with a with a reader that actually put a little bit of spirit into it and this is this is the this is going to like be the part where i start venturing into territory that might ruffle a feather or two maybe i don't know but this is basically the god of the puritans and and it's a heavy emphasis on the infinite might and anger of this divine being who only because he isn't quite motivated to yet. Hasn't thrown you into hell. It's an, of a mentality that sinners are manifold. Every man is a sinner, and every man is contemptible in the sight of God. Um, and it's only if you engage in the mercy clause that you'll be spared from this wrath and hatefulness. And, granted, you've probably heard this kind of stuff yelled by a preacher on the street if you've gone down any remotely populous town in America at some point or another. Honestly, this is this is the kind of belief that makes human life seem really cheap. It, just in that... Uh, you know, I say that, and I don't mean like in the Soviet way, where like, you know, they, they are okay with just killing tons and tons of people. Um, but it is the kind of thing where people are viewed very, very hatefully and disdainfully for their shortcomings. And uh, the other thing I was going to branch into was Nathaniel Hawthorne. And Hawthorne himself was not, to my knowledge, a Puritan. 
He is, however, an 18th century, or sorry, 19th century author who is perhaps our best, uh, perhaps our best window into their world. Because he was basically like an early historical fiction writer. Did you ever read any of Hawthorne's stuff by chance, Chris? Mm, not that I recall of. M maybe I have. Okay. It's just that you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell at this point. Yeah, I get you. I mean, he's one of those where, uh, I'm to make you feel better, maybe, most Americans are probably in the same boat as you. No, it's just that I, I, I might have read him. It's just that, it with, as with all of these kind of not as well-known writers, uh, I would have to dig through notes. Because there are there yeah, is, no, I there, you, there are some which you read in, in the course, but then there are some which you read and then kind of forget, which is a shame, of course. But you know, yeah. Well, Hawthorne was basically like found a, if I recall correctly, Hawthorne basically found a big old attic's worth of archival information on New England Puritan colonies, and he sat down and poured through all of that and took notes and everything. And he started using it as uh, basically the uh, material with which to write some historical fiction, but a lot of it also has some, you know, morals to it or whatever. And uh, for the most part, they're just damn good stories. But um, that's the setting for most of his work. And like I said, it is one of our better windows into the world of the Puritans and, you know, pre-revolutionary America, at least in the New England area. Which is where a whole bunch of the impetus and momentum and, you know, the sparks of the revolution were, you know, started. So, it bears worth. Now, some of the mo probably the first thing that will come to mind when you mention Hawthorne, you've probably heard of the Scarlet Letter, right? Yeah, that's the one that is probably his most famous work. Um, it's also one of the longer ones. And the idea for that one is, you know, the, the, the letter, the, uh, the titular scarlet letter is emblazoned upon the dress of a woman who is kind of the main character. And the A, of course, stands for adulteress. Because she is introduced coming out of a dank prison cell with a baby of about three months slung under her arm. And she had to, while in that cell, stitch together and embroider a scarlet A to forever be her mark of shame. And you get a window into their mentality there, talking about how dour their countenances are and the solemnity with which they um, pursue justice and the vitriol with which they discuss, you know, Oh, should we allow this wench to live and turn our daughters and uh, family members to be tempted by her example? Look at how haughtily she bears herself. Maybe we sh she should be killed. There is provision for it, both in the colony charter and in the Bible. And, you know, people would basically only be able to rebut with, well... Do you really think that women will only restrain themselves for fear of the gallows? That and uh, you know that's 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 an interesting thing because all this all this restrain idea and like this this fear of things is is one of the more common arguments in kind of debates between atheists and and Christians, as yeah. atheists then tend, tend to state that. Uh, they don't. They don't need to believe in afterlife to be a, be a good person, 
at the same time, that's what kind of the Protestant religion, like the Protestant Reformation happened about, the fact that, you know, you, you don't really kind of, you, you can't earn it just with good, good works and stuff, and it's a very complex theological issue. So all this fear of the gallows and fear of death is, is a major theme in essentially ecclesiastical and theological writings of the time, uh, especially when it comes to Protestant, Protestant Reformation, as previously that was one of the main criticisms, all these indulgences and all these kind of good works uh, thesis. So yeah. this, this, this adds you... extra layer of importance here. Yeah, and you've also probably heard on the other side of things uh, of that argument of, you know, the atheists will say, I don't need a religion to believe in or fear of punishment in order to be a good person. Whereas in the same way, a lot of Christians, when they're faced with atheists, will often open up with, you know, well, without a God, who's going to keep people from, or without fear of punishment or whatever, what's going to keep people from going around just murdering whoever they feel like? Well, the answer to this is uh, just not being a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's so simple. Why does it seem so complex to everybody? But, you know... <clears throat> it's it's that... essentially all, all this basis of things is that if you want to be a good person in general, then you still have to be a good person yourself. You, in any rate, either, either uh, religious or atheist, cannot rely on an outer force to make you or force you to be a good person, because then you are being one under being one under duress and that doesn't really count as all this all, all this freedom of will thing to which i also believe but that's another discussion implies that uh you know it's it's more important to choose yourself to be a good person if you do this under duress it kind of doesn't count uh, yeah. and second because you're not being good then you're just being obedient exactly you're you're being kind of arrogant and obedient and that's, that's one, of the, one of the more important parts uh, and it's like the, the, this is this is a non non issue at least here. But then again, not not many people have delved, delved so deep in this. Oh, well, then again, here here you go. One oh one one oh one theology lesson as well, and we'll get to politics eventually here. I I promise. Eventually, at one point. The, the Scarlet Letter is a lengthy and uh, and I think I feel like I've touched on the bit that was you know, conducive to my commentary on, Ameri on the development of American morality and politics here, is that this was a region where, I mean, basically the difference between ecclesiastical law and, you know, state law was almost negligible or non-existent, uh, which is why it took so long for the, you know, oft-maligned and sometimes overblown Salem witch trials were... Um, you know, allowed to go on for as long as they were, because they... David! What did I do? Did I did I say a bad word? Did I did I bring you more hate mail? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 it's... It's the fact that, you know, I didn't really read what you were writing in your address, so I just started writing, Ameristan United Federatory is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I have another envelope. It's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't even think that was gonna happen. No, I'm. I'm like. I'm. I'm really deeply listening to what you're saying, so I'm not paying attention. I'm just writing as written. Then. Uh, I'm like red in the face. I'm. So <laughs> 
It's okay. It's okay. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gr- I'm grabbing a new envelope. This time, just gonna write USA there. On the subject of morality and what makes a good person in American politics and religion, I think that this is a good place for me to make a distinction. Even though I'm not done with the Puritans yet, I'm gonna go back to this. But I wanna I wanna like say what I'm gonna say before I'm gonna say it. You know what I'm saying? Um, basically, there is a divide that becomes so strong and stark that uh, they kind of fight a war over it uh, not quite a hundred years after the revolution. Uh, You may know this as the American Civil War. I like to consider it the second American Civil War because the revolution was in many ways a civil war in all of itself, especially down in my neck of the woods. Um, But I digress. It's argued a lot of times that, and this is especially where your Marxist historians have a field day with the um, the southern states that eventually evolved into the Confederacy, that um, they were almost more like a feudal uh, society than an actual capitalist one. Whereas the northern states were more capitalist, and discernibly so. I would add in that <clears throat> they are often... Dentri- Differentiated as being, um, in the South, a shame and honor society, and in the North, a guilt-based society. And the difference therein being that in a shame and honor society, what makes you a good person is often entirely dependent upon public perception. Whereas in a guilt society, you're focused a whole lot more on the you know, the inner conscience, you know, what you perceive of yourself is based not just on what people see in you, but also what you see in yourself. And because we are operating almost universally in these cases in a Christian worldview, what God sees in you. This is like the makers of the great, you know, cathedrals of the European high points where you're etching these gorgeous, lovingly crafted uh, relief sculptures into the walls where no one is going to see them, in part because of the lighting, in part because of how far away from their worship area it is. And they would ask them, you know, why are you even putting that much effort into it? No one's going to see it. And the sculptor would yeah, simply say, Yeah, but that's, say, oh, that's the kind of the whole point of this. I mean, uh, I mean that, that's, that's sort of how it's been traditionally here in Latvia as well. This idea that you know you might slack off now and then, but if you're doing something you if you're doing something worthwhile, you better do it do it well, even though no one might see you that it's it's kind yeah no oh, of I under, no well, I know I'm, I know but I'm using uh, that word as an analogy that, that we are culturally I'm just commenting that we are more like more like that that thing I think this this you you are you are who you are in the dark society more like with that's the... what I like to call it yeah. Yeah, well, you're, you guys are Lutheran, and that, yeah, that is kind of a... Okay, so I've got to... Uh, I'll save this joke for when we start getting to the denomination stuff a little bit. I won't spend much time on that, but... Um, because, because what made a good person on the Puritans was... and I don't want to make it seem like I think that shame and honor and guilt uh, differentiations are, you know, mutually exclusive. We're just talking about yeah. what they major in, basically, you know what I mean? Uh, what What they put the most emphasis on. Because, you know, of course you're going to have a southern person who, you know, 
privately writes in their diary how guilty they feel about this or that a thing. Or, uh, you know, in the puritanical uh, colonies, there was a very much a code of honor and ethics there. I mean, wasting time was considered a sin among the Puritans. Like, how much of a hard-ass do you have to be to where wasting time is considered a sin? I mean, I can understand sloth being a deadly sin and that kind of stuff, don't get me wrong, but, like, this is if you decide to swim a little bit and just enjoy the water rather than get in, scrub your filthy body, get out. You're wasting time, and that's sinful. Or, you know, they make reference in uh, the end of my favorite Hawthorne story, which I'll go into in a sec here, in Young Goodman Brown. Um, they make reference to, you know, his wife when he gets home from his journey is so glad to see him that she almost gasp kisses him in public. Well, over, over here, kissing in public is kind of like, uh, well, do you know, teenagers do that, but it's kind of sort of weird. But uh, that's a thing. Even just, even just a little peck? No, no, that's okay. Okay, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure that's what... She wasn't about to, like, shove her tongue down his throat or anything like that. <laughs> hey, you never know. Uh, now I, now I want to read Hawthorne writing his dirty books. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually going to read on this because these early puritanical writings kind of... Actually, if you think about it, they re- reveal a lot about the very basics of, of what is your tradition, because, you know... And now I, now I start to understand why it actually matters a lot... That I did mention the tradition at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, because yeah, because the hypocrisy is in and of itself a tradition. I mean, you'll find uh, in the real sermons and the fictional ones that you find in a lot of Hawthorne's writings a heavy emphasis on the kind of you know the oh oh to think it's sinners are amongst our very congregation. I mean, it's the kind of thing that makes for like you know overblown, ham-fisted, uh, you know. Attempts to be edgy and, you know, enlightened and, you know, like your uh, American horror story, like, let's make the religious cult leader guy the bad guy and make him give lots of fire and brimstone speeches. But this is really what the, the kind of thing that we think about, like, there are people in our congregation that are doing things that we shouldn't be okay with and that they shouldn't be okay with. And there are people listening to my sermon now who, if they died tonight, would probably be going to hell. So straighten up. And that's one of the reasons I want to touch on Young Goodman Brown. That one is, this one is just a masterpiece in my opinion. Um, and it's not very long either. That one, like sinners in the hands of an angry God, could be read by a good reader aloud uh, within the course of about 30 minutes. Uh, this one you could also find on LibriVox. Um, but it's just as good to read on its own. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure which one you would find better, Chris, because it is written in almost, almost Shakespearean style English, but, um, a little, a little bit more contemporary than that. The story for young Goodman Brown, I will summarize this one a little bit without trying to spoil every detail because it is kind of a little, you know, impressive in the end. Um, it starts with a... The titular character going on a nighttime journey. His wife, Faith, bids him not to go. And he's all, oh, I know, I'm sorry, but I've got to. I have to do this. And she's like, please stay the night here. Tarry with me a while longer. 
you know, just spend tonight in your own bed. And he says, no, I've got to get this done tonight. I'll be back before sunrise, and I love you, and so on and so forth. And he goes off, and you almost, you know, I mean, maybe this is just a contemporary thing, but, you know, you almost get the feeling that maybe he's sneaking off to do something he shouldn't be, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe he's fooling around his wife a little bit. Well, he goes into the woods instead. You know, that, that wonderful, archaic, you know, you're going into the woods, and... Christoph, maybe you have a closer connection to this. What might be awaiting for him in the woods? Wild boars, foxes, uh, bears, wolves. Fucking hell, Chris. <laughs> his, 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 uh, his purse. More realistically, if you actively go out there and you don't have a gun with you, then obviously you're moonshine still. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I've got other. I've read other stories like that, but um, no, this one. Uh, Think about, like, in a mythological sense. Like, the kind of stuff that sermons would be written about. Maybe this Communism. is more of a thing. Communism. <laughs> okay, never mind. I was thinking... I was thinking along the lines of, um, and maybe this is more of a French thing than a Eastern European thing or a Baltic thing. I'm not sure. Um, hard work, given hard the... work, hard work in the forest with an axe in hand to provide for to provide logs to, uh, to, to like, burn fires at home because it's cold and dark outside. It's the devil. What? It's the devil, Chris. It's the devil. You find the devil when you go out into the woods. Uh. Uh. But why? But why? Well, because that's where... Because that's away from civilization and, you know, Christendom and everything. That's where the... That's where... Hold on, I'm going to borrow a page from Glenn's book. Those people that's get together. The heathens. And, and in America, well, especially... Well, yes, we do, and that's pretty cool. Wow, what's, what's, what's the issue here? Yeah, well, exactly. And in America, even more of the thing, because the heathens aren't even the same color as you anymore. Oh, yeah, well, I, I forgot that the two guys... You, you guys have a thing for not, not liking pagan stuff. Yeah, well... <laughs> I guess I guess it's I, I guess it's a medicus thing really. Uh, I think it was a I think it was a western european thing that became an american thing because most of them were western european because I mean it is the same kind of thing with like depending on where they came from they they tended to view catholicism in about the same way too. No, but the thing the thing is with western europe is that you know we were conquered by basically Swedes and uh yeah, Swedes and uh, Germans so they one of the one of the ideas about what's what's going on here with these old legends is that you know uh, our our tribal leaders went into the forest to kind of discuss their battle plans and stuff. Yeah. And it was one of the, one of the thoughts here is that you know this this is why you know the evil people got associated with the forest because those were kind of our tribal ah. chieftains going and discussing their battle plans and stuff. Oh. Okay, that that makes more sense now. That that makes sense why my my ham-fisted cultural reference was uh, off the mark there. See, I was thinking of like the um, in France especially, and in some degree in Germany, the woods are regarded as kind of where the you know the hedge witches will be, and you know uh, they they actually have court records from old uh, you know church courts 
uh, from like the werewolf craze, from when they were actually legitimately terrified and preachers were preaching from the pulpit about how Dude, we, we live, werewolves we, are everywhere. We live in prime werewolf country, and those legends became popular after the Northern Northern Crusade over here, where the Crusaders yeah. brought the legends back because all Eastern Europe at that point was essentially one huge forest. Yeah. Right now, Latvia is fifty nine percent forest. Uh, oh, yeah. And about the witches and stuff, yeah. Well, uh, over here, all like all the wise ladies, which did you know, the ones who took the like the healers, the ones who took the births of, of people, all, all those were considered witches. And yeah, in the paganistic culture over here, in the traditional culture, we kind of liked our witches. They helped us deal with the foul crusaders. Yeah, and it's it's just a matter of I'm no 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 I'm sure just, I just I, I really I really deal. don't want to scare people and stuff, but uh, it's kind <laughs> of like no no it's just that it's a part of our culture and this is kind of what we do. It's you know this whole paganistic aspect and the fact that we have history from way 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 back is still plays a part in our culture, even though we have been thoroughly Christianized and Westernized. I mean, we still have this paganistic holiday after all that's why you guys didn't have a satanic panic see i i, I was to, to pull the curtain back a little bit dear listener there was one bit where uh Christoph and i were talking about dungeons and dragons stuff and um he he was unaware that dungeons and dragons had ever been associated with satanic worship and stuff and i was like dude in the, in the 80s, everyone was convinced that, like, D&D was, you know, witch recruiting, basically. I mean, there were comics and movies being made about, you know, kids getting lured into satanic cults and sacrificing their friends or killing themselves and their characters died and summoning demons and, you know, go burn all your D&D books because they're full of demons. And, I mean, I just kind of figured that uh, they didn't have a satanic panic in Latvia because, well, they had real problems in the 80s. But... Huh. Still having a soft spot for your local witch might actually contribute more to that, I would think. Well, that said, we probably list everyone, uh, lost everyone listening in my neck of the woods because, ugh, man. I remember whenever I was 16 and I started playing D&D, and I still had, you know, friends whose parents were convinced that they were going to catch the Satan if they were to play this with me. No, see, the thing is, it was, it was actually kind of uh, another cultural thing, is that over here, Christianity kind of got in way easy because our national local deities were somewhat similar to Christianity's deities. We also have, like, our name for God is Dievs, which is also name of the chief pagan deity in traditional Latvian belief system. We just adopted that, and we also have our own, like, devil and all that stuff. It's all, it's all there. So, even though it was kind of modified later and stuff like that, but yeah, we, it was, it was you know, kind of like, kind of like why Scandinavia accepted Christianity so easily. It's not like it was that dissimilar. There, there were some syncretism going on. Oh, that's fascinating stuff. I mean, I could like, I, I, I could start sitting down and picking your brain about that kind of stuff for ages. But um... no, we can, we can go on. Let's just get to the politics stuff, and then you can pick my brain at some point. I don't. I see. I don't mind. And I see. At this point, this is the PDRP. This is the show where. Uh, where only the people who really care about this stuff actually listens to this all the way through. So we could just go <laughs> on here. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, so going into the woods, right. So th this is the thing with Young Good and Brown. He is 
going into the woods to meet somebody, and as so often happens in like Western European traditions, and as it became a fast of American folk tales, when you're doing that, you're going off to meet the devil, whether it be in a you know metaphorical case of you're going in there to get away from prying eyes and do whatever unseemly things you want to do, or in this case, you're literally going in to meet the devil. And, you know, this, this is one of the things I love about puritanical stuff. Like, the, the Pilgrim's Progress is the same way, only way worse, because, like, the main character's name is Christian, and he meets such characters as uh, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, who tries to dissuade him from the path with, uh, you know, uh, worldly reasonings and stuff, or you meet Obstinate and Pliant, uh, and Obstinate's like, Christianity, this sounds stupid, I'm going back home. Come on, Pliant. And he's like, I don't know, I think I like the sound of this guy's thing. And as soon as they hit hardship, oh, this is stupid, I'm going home. Because he was pliant. But anyway, I, I digress. In Goodman Brown, it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit, it's not quite so ham-fisted. One of the first words that he speaks to the devil as he meets him, the devil's like, you are late, Goodman Brown, said he. The clock of the Old South was striking as I came through Boston, and that is full 15 minutes gone. Uh, Faith kept me back a while, his wife's name being Faith, by the way, replied the young man with a tremor in his voice, caused by the sudden appearance of his companion, though not wholly unexpected. Basically, he meets with this guy who kind of looks like an old member of his family, and they're going into the woods together, and it's made a little bit unclear what their destination is. But And, and it's made unclear exactly what the nature of this man is at first, but Goodman Brown is all, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to be seen with you, man. I'm still really nervous about this. I'm kind of having second thoughts. I want to turn around. Uh, I mean, I met you, so I've kept up my end of the deal, but, I mean, I don't have to go any further. I don't think I want to go any further. And the guy's like, oh, come on. Let's, let's, let's keep going a little bit further, and if I haven't talked you out of it, then okay, fine, you can leave. And the bit that... I think touches most on this, the bit that I most wanted to read on here. Um, as they're as they're getting further, Goodman Brown just exclaims, Too far! Too far! explained the Goodman, unconsciously resuming his walk. My father never went into the woods on such an errand, nor his father before him. We have been a race of honest men and good Christians since the day of the martyrs. And shall I be the first of the name Brown that ever took this path and kept... And he cuts off there. Such company, thou wouldst say, observed the elder person, interrupting his pause. Well said, Goodman Brown. I have been as well acquainted with your family as with ever a one among the Puritans, and that's no trifle to say. I helped your grandfather, the constable, when he lashed the Quaker woman so smartly through the streets of Salem. And it was I that brought your father a pitch-pine knot, kindled at my own hearth to set fire to an Indian village in King Philip's War. They were my good friends, both, and many a pleasant walk have we had along this path, and returned merrily after midnight. I would fain be friends with you for their sake. And Goodman Brown's basically like, oh, they never talked about this kind of stuff. Goodman Brown's all there, all there, you know, we're people of prayer and good works to boot. We abide no such wickedness. Well, wickedness or not, said the traveler with the twisted staff. He had a snake staff, as if you uh, needed any hint. I have a very general acquaintance here in New England. The deacons of many a church have drunk the communion wine with me. 
the selectmen, divers, towns, make me their chairman, and a majority of the great and general court are firm supporters of my interest. The governor and I, too. But these are state secrets. And, you know, it's the whole, Please meet you! Help you get my name! <laughs> thing going on. As you realize this is, this is clearly an icon of evil. And he's basically saying, Oh yeah, I'm in with everybody. Goodman Brown tries to distance himself from this. He's like, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in touch with any of those kinds of people. I'm still a good person. I'm just coming out here because I feel like it. And, oh, shoot, he sees ahead of him on the way an old woman walking. He's like, um, hey, uh, I'm going to go off into the woods. I don't want to be seen with you. Not in front of that lady. She taught me my catechism. You know, she taught me Sunday school. And the traveler's like, eh, that's fine. I understand. It wouldn't be the first. Go ahead. And then he walks up behind the woman, pokes her with his stick, and she's like, Ah, the devil! And they start to talk. And it's all... Basically, she readily, happily, openly makes mention of all of the witchy things that she does. And there is a sort of a running theme among some of the different people who speak of you know, disdain for everybody else, but glorying in your own sinfulness. And that is especially strong in the end. And I, I I won't go on ahead and read off the end for everybody or anything like that. I think I've dwelt long enough on the, the Puritan subject. No, 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 and on please, this... please, please, please go on. This is interesting, really. What is the end, then? How does this end? It ends basically at him coming to a giant seance, like a big satanic party in the middle of the woods. And much to his chagrin, he realizes fucking everybody is there. Everyone. It's kind of like a social critique then, I suppose. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, this, 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 by the way, reminds me of the traditions of... Uh, have you read Master and Margarita? Of Master, by Michael, Master and Margaret, or Mar Margarita by Bulgakov. No, but uh, is that they one of the ones they referenced on the, the um, Serfdom episode in Dead Ideas? Or no? No, no, that's that was uh, that's a Russian classical literature piece, which is excellent, okay. and it's it comes from the Nep era, which I recommended by the way on the, my Eastern Martyr show about the Nep. But uh, see that that is an interesting story because it's all about this. Basically, it's all about like Satan being kind of the sort of kind of good guy of the story by the way huh. because uh, the story is all about this that about a poet uh, a writer and a poet in, in, in the nep era in the 20s in the soviet union who accidentally writes a novel which tells the true story of jesus christ and then he, the soviet authorities imprison him but the but the satan is like well hell this dude this dude wrote, wrote the story of about you know that other body but that other body is too peaceful and kind and nice to do anything about it so i'm just gonna come here and and do do like make things happen that story by the way was published way later not not while bulgakov was alive but so yeah. this volume just arrives in moscow and just mocks everyone shows how everyone is corrupt and creates a huge ball and shows just the greed of people and how every how everyone is yeah basically corrupt and terrible Okay, yeah, I, re I do remember you mentioning that now, and yeah, I <laughs> oh man, I love stories like that. Uh, I, I I I get a similar kind of thing from. Um, it's like it's like uh, I, what what I like the most, by the way, about this is that we're 
Like, we're actually digging really deep in what makes Western culture Western culture by this point. It's not the stated aspect of everything, but but that kind of is, if you think about it. Yeah, well, I mean, wasn't... Uh, I mean, wasn't, what, um... what, do we, what, what do we call the Western culture today? Well, it comes from this, and how does it impact us today, and... And wow, <laughs> we will get yeah. to today, but I am pretty stunned because the cultural similarities and all this this way of thought, because American Protestant culture and all these all these writings have influenced a lot of things going on. Because yeah. at one point you were like the 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 major shining example of things, and for some people even today, and don't take this as an insult, but uh, I have yeah. learned to I have learned enough about Americans that uh, I I unleash a small chuckle when when sometimes sometimes my my uh, friends from over here who maybe don't know so much about America start tell because then they start like they they've read some article on the internet and start telling me oh man everything's amazing in America they have this thing and that thing and everything's awesome there and I'm like yeah have you have you tried healthcare. I'm going to say, if you can afford healthcare and Games Workshop models, then you're better off than most Americans. <laughs> uh, that, that's, maybe that's not entirely true, but... No, well, that's, but, that's, basically, but basically... That's my jab basically, that I shall try to point No, but the idea is that America is really important, I think, in the Western culture, because there are a lot of people... I mean, not everyone here uses the internet. There are a lot of polar people yeah. and stuff like that. And there are two pictures of America, one painted by the Russian media, which basically paints America as this great imperialistic enemy. And then there are some people... Of my generation, a bit younger, who only acquire any acquire stuff from the internet about America, and mm-hmm. they have this ide- idealized view of this great country of awesomeness, which sadly I do have to say is quite much not so. There are a lot of things that I don't like about your country. I, well, I'm yeah. honest here. Yeah, same here. So you know, I mean, but I'm 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 also setting myself up to be like impossible to be pleased because I probably would have been a loyalist if I had been around in the 18th century anyway. So you know, uh, disappointment is almost the expectation for me. <laughs> this that, that that makes you a very Soviet man because you know if you if you expect to be disappointed you will never be you will never be unpleasantly surprised. Yeah, I know, right? Well. Oh, hardship does that, people. And even and although I, I would probably, I, 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 I shudder to imagine what kind of a cussedly nasty person I would have been if I had grown up in that kind of hardship, and not just my own white bread first world problems kind of hardship. I guess so. This, 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 this is one thing that I don't really like is that you know, a modern society to a point has. I'm, and I might be wrong about this, but it seems that at one point we've turned into this. Oh yeah, I've had it. I've I've had it really tough. Oh well, I've had it tougher than you. That that makes me better yeah. than you. And I uh, hate that. So I call it misery dick measuring. Approximately, yeah. And, and I hate it so much, and I try my absolute damnness to stay out of that kind of stuff. Like. I, I, I almost, like, even as I said the whole thing about the hardships, I was like, geez, I probably shouldn't be using that word. Because I just, ugh, it, it Not that I don't listen to, like, with my friends are having trouble with something, I will happily sit there and try, because everyone's... And you're like, and like this, this does not mean that we want to undermine anyone who's actually going through really tough times. Yeah, Cause, Jordan Peterson cause, cause, likes to talk about, um, you know, how personal, personal... Tragedy and relative poverty are indeed important, and they do shape your life and alter your brain chemistry and all that kind of stuff, but 
If you're going, yeah, if you're going to look at things from a, you know, a perspective bigger than yourself, yeah, a lot of times, um, I had something bad happen to me amounts to, oh yeah, you too? Oh cool, join the club, right? Yeah, I guess so, and it's kind of this, this commiserating thing that, you know, you're, you're cool if you're suffering from something, because, you know, who's the least privileged among all? Yeah, and well, we'll get it. We'll get into that, dude. Boy, do I have! I, I, I have a. I have something in my back pocket for your tanky hate. <laughs> well, maybe not hate, but you know, the, the dis disgruntlement. It's there we it's go. it's it's an it's an annoyance, really, because uh, I at one point, you know, I make this podcast, so obviously I like to explain all the socialism history and how it was really like here to people. But then some people have dragged me into Facebook discussions with like hardcore communists and i mean those people who think that stalin was okay yeah. and uh then i understood that i just have i just have to cut this off i just have to cut this off or i will not be making my podcast i'll just i'll just spend days upon days on arguing on the internet and that's not something that i want to do so he's made it to this clearing and nervously he's like watching from the trees because at first it looked like a, the the forest ahead of him was on fire and instead it's this huge gathering of people and it's it's stupefying him how many of them there are and how many of them he recognizes and he thought they were good people and they're here celebrating at a you know satanic panic not not satanic panic uh what's the word uh uh um bucket the a great big sin party satan palooza yes <laughs> satan palooza so we're heading home runs here, people. Home <laughs> runs. So he gets called out um, when... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, Bring Forth the Converts is called, and it's him and a veiled young woman come out. And I'll start to quote here. And this is where the devil jumps up into his podium thing. Welcome, my children, said the dark figure, to the communion of your race. Ye have found, thus young, your nature and your destiny. My children, look behind you. They turned and flashing forth, as it were, in a sheet of flame, the fiend worshippers were seen. The smile of welcome gleamed darkly on every visage. There, resumed the sable form, 
are all whom ye have reverenced from youth. Ye deemed them holier than yourselves, and shrank from your own sin, contrasting it with their lives of righteousness and prayerful aspirations heavenward. Yet here are they all in my worshipping assembly. This night it shall be granted you to know their secret deeds, how hoary-bearded elders of the church have whispered wanton words to the young maids of their households, how many a woman, eager for widow's weeds, has given her husband a drink at bedtime and let him sleep his last sleep in her bosom, how beardless youth have made haste to inherit their father's wealth, and how fair damsels, Blush not, sweet ones, have dug little graves in the garden, and bidden me, the sole guest, to an infant's funeral. By the sympathy of your human hearts for sin, ye shall scent out all the places, whether in church, bedchamber, street, field, or forest, where crime has been committed, and shall exult to behold the whole earth one stain of guilt, one mighty blood spot. Far more than this, it shall be yours to penetrate in every bosom the deep mystery of sin, the fountain of all wicked arts, and which inexhaustibly supplies more evil impulses than human power, than my power at its utmost, can make manifest in deeds. And now, my children, look upon each other. And he sees his wife. And she sees him. And basically... Glory to communism. <laughs> no. Wrong kind of red army oh. here. But And basically, the, the story wraps up with him going home... Like, basically as if he woke from a dream. He wakes up in the forest... And there's no fire anymore. It's just the morning dew as the sun's starting to come up. And he walks home, and he's never the same again. I mean, he goes through his life. He goes through the motions. He has kids and grandkids and everything. And his, he and his wife stay together, but he never is able to look at himself or anyone the same. He's never able to enjoy a church sermon or, you know, be comfortable among his peers or anything like that ever again because of whether it be real or dream, he still sees the earth as this great stain, or stain, this, this sin stain everywhere. And knowing that all of that is lurking in the hearts of everybody in there and that, that that sin is the communion of his race and his people. And that's uh, Puritanism for you, everyone. And this is the same kind of stuff that you will see coming in in the Great Awakenings that uh, filter all throughout um, American history. And you will see this kind of stuff developing and continuing in modern America. Like I said, you'll see the street preachers. Um, if you want to see a real hyped up, like, and this is an extreme example, so please, please, dear God, if you're not an American listener... And you get on YouTube and you look up Jesus Camp, which I encourage anyone to do because it's it's interesting. Please don't think that all of us are like that. <laughs> We're talking, you know, people getting together. And uh, Chris, if you want me to, if you want this taken out, by all means. But um, like Chris's wife is at a at a Harry Potter themed party, and some of the people that wedding wedding party. party 
And I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to call them out too hard. <laughs> but, but you'll have people in this Jesus camp thing, they'll have a bunch of kids, little kids, man. And they'll have a person come up on stage with a, you know, a picture of Harry Potter and talk about how Harry Potter is a warlock. And warlocks are going to hell because they're Satan worshippers. And anyone who likes Harry Potter is going to hell. Well, that's a bit harsh. So suck it, Alice. You're going to hell. But See, not really. In my ideas like this, my my late grandma, yeah. she was the daughter of a preacher from, from whom I take my name. He was also Christos. And he was a Lutheran preacher who also had a small beer brewery. Mm-hmm. And my late grandma was the most devout and like most devout. And actually, you know, there are these kind of good and nice people, you know, the, the ones that you kind of know that as a Christian, it's like, as a Christian, everyone in my church said, well, if any one of us is going to heaven, that's, that's yeah. her. She was extremely devout and extremely kind. She liked Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter books. <laughs> Why? Because she can understand fiction. <laughs> and she was like, well, yeah, the good guys be the bad guys. It's awesome. Well, there's another story. I wasn't able to find this one, and it made me very and mad. At, but... and, at, and, at one, and at one point, it works like this. Well, um, it, it all boils down to, well... Can you just think about fiction and stuff, yeah. not, not just terrible things? And you know, if my, if my late grandma could could, she she's kind of the my late grandma yelled yelled to me about many things. But basically, if my late if my late very devout grandma says that something is okay, then that, that is okay, and nothing can change my mind. <laughs> yeah, she was right. I know it. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of the running things that comes up over here too. Is the oh well. People just don't know how to tell reality from fiction, and I... Bullshit. That's a good reason for me to branch into the next thing, because, um, you know, fuck the other story. The other story, I, I, like I said, I couldn't find it. Basically, the only reason I'm bringing that up is um, one of the sentiments in there was... Uh, it was a thing about um, Polish refugees from World War II coming and staying on a farmer's land in the South, and um, they basically hated them from the get-go and were like... They don't know how to talk right. They don't worship like we do. They believe silly stuff because they's from a continent that ain't had all the foolishness reformed out of their religion. Basically saying they're Catholic and therefore they're stupid because they believe stupid things. And let, let's let them die in a farming accident. Well, that's kind of really sad because Poland but, and... Ca- Poland and uh, I mean I'm sorry and this this is this is some of my own bias because because my ancestors were in the battlefield but yeah. Jan Sobieski was named savior of Christendom for a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, not maybe not really, see, but that's that's a thing here because you know we were in Poland that we were in a part of Poland at that time, and uh, and the idea is that Poland Poland's Catholicism was, is is viewed here as a good thing even though most. Over here, over here, we have like a lot of religious to- tolerance. You, nobody cares yeah. about denomination issues. We have, uh, we we basically have a, a Catholic archbishop here, a Orthodox metropolitan, and a Lutheran archbishop here in Riga. And you know, very few cities actually get that honor because <laughs> it's it's sort of rare. To have like all three of them, and yeah, uh, cool. we we have we have this idea of just you know live and let live attitude, because everyone's been oppressed enough already. Yeah, yeah. Don't need more of that. Don't need people making it worse. I, I think 
Honestly, I st- sometimes wonder idly if um, maybe that's not part of America's problem. Like, maybe if some bad shit actually happened around here for, you know, the the big demographics, that maybe we all wouldn't be so quick to turn on each other. And, you know, knock on wood, I don't actually want that to happen. But, you know, it might be one of those things for historians down the road to look back on and like, oh, aren't those Americans so lucky that bad things happened to them? <laughs> it made them a better place. <laughs> like we so often do with, like, the plague or Genghis Khan. I wonder, I wonder when they'll but, start. Um, I mean, they. a lot of people have said this for, like, Lenin already. Uh, like, about him being good guy, I wonder when when they'll start doing this for Stalin. I'm I'm sure right now, those are fringe groups. Oh, people and already Stalin are. And 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 Hitler maybe I don't know. Well, times are changing, you know. Well, it's, nothing is nothing is ever simple. Well, here's the thing I'll say. Actually, three things real quick. Then I've got a joke. Oh, for yeah, you. That, that seems okay. Okay, so the first thing is yeah, people all for for and, and I guess this is technically one. I don't know. Anyway, um. Hitler and Stalin, the way I see it, you whether you're a tanky or a neo-Nazi, and I don't mean to conflate the two because I I hold, you know, because one of my one of my good friends is a tanky. None of my friends are Nazis. Just just say let that speak for itself. But to a degree, if you're going to sit there and say that Stalin was a good guy and everything that he did that was wrong was a lie. And that every historian or every work of history or every personal account that disagrees with you is fabrication? Well, congratulations! That is the exact same line of reasoning that a neo-Nazi will use to deny the Holocaust and say that Hitler was actually a pretty fucking great dude. I mean, unless they're the really kind of evil, (laughs) you know, or like, I don't care if the Holocaust happened, Hitler's a great dude. Ugh... Basically, it was the quote where it's like, I don't like to believe that God would give us a working that brain came, and then that, tell that, us that not to. That already comes it. from, uh, that comes from Augustine of Hippo, the very old dude, and, and also Thomas oh, Aquinas. Wow. Okay. Th- those, those medievalists, it's like, well, God, yeah. God gave yeah, you the ability to, say it, to reason. Yeah. Um, use it. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, the other thing, I remembered there was a question you asked me really early, like at the start of the podcast, that I had an answer for, and then I got, like, tripped up in answering something else. I just remembered it. Okay. So, you were talking about how if, um, you go in to buy sausage and you change, you choose your brand of sausage based on politics, then your country's on the verge of, um politics that scared me man and i think my brain may have repressed that fear for a little bit and made me forget that you had asked this question so that's i wouldn't a, have to deal with that that's a russian that's a russian politician by the way a russian political philosopher uh, alexander yeah. pitigorsky always recommend him a lot well i'm scared but it does because, scare you because you have you heard about all of the stuff about people like trying to boycott starbucks for this and that because they're not conservative enough or people boycotting Oreos because they had, you know, the the rainbow flag for Pride Month or whatever. Or boycotting Burger King because they had, you know, the rainbow, um, you know, Pride Burger thing going on. And, uh, or, or people are going to boycott this company because uh, they don't source their stuff a certain way. or And, and some of this stuff, I understand. Like, I'm not saying that boycotting things is stupid. 
What I am saying is it's become so prevalent that now I'm a little bit afraid because of... What did you say that gent's name was again? Alexander Piatigorsky. He says that's... Piatigorsky, yeah, he wrote about how this is basically... When when society when everything the society does becomes politicized, that means the politics has taken the central role, and that is basically a precursor to revolution. Don't say that oh, kind I of shit, point. man. Don't say that kind of shit. He also kind of proved it because this is what. Well, he used uh, historical evidence as like you know your previous revolution, French Revolution, Bolshevik Revolution, eighteen forty eight. I can't Spanish find any revolution. salt. I can't find any salt to throw over my shoulder. We're doomed. You Probably heard it not. here. Well, basically, if you know this, then you can maybe take countermeasures, like uh, ah, like ah. moving, like moving away from the mainland. What's what's what? Like moving away from the mainland. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just I just meant really this. This show is all about making people think, and the more people think, then the more they're informed, and you know, the more they can actually solve issues and make sure that you know this doesn't happen. Which stuff. is which is one of the reasons I love it. At the same time, maybe it's just the area I grew up in, but I have a really low opinion of the average per... Okay, no. Okay, I don't really believe that. It's just me. It's it's when your filter is starting to wear and you're, you know... You can only see so much people who are making stupid decisions. Yeah. There is an upper limit to this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's... It's it's a thing. It's a thing because it's, it's not like every see um, everyone everyone I believe is capable of reasoning and is a smart and kind person when taken individually. Yeah. But uh, it's scientifically proven that it, if if we when we're when we're like a mob, then it, it takes only five percent of people to lead everyone to, to going going somewhere. Yeah. Like, they really tested this. They took, like, a thousand people and just... They, they put them in the room. It's, it was a kind of a double-blind test. And what, what they did was they just put some people in there and told those people to basically just just try to walk in a certain direction and try to move around the building. And it, they, they just checked how many people it uh, took for to start moving so that others would follow. It's kind of... as a, We have this very terrible mob mentality. And this mob mentality represents itself the most it kind of represents our inner inner fear of freedom inner fear of thinking on our own yeah this this very idea that thinking uh, thinking for yourself is hard and uh i remember i forgot who wrote this i would like to say it was Josiah berlin but i might be wrong here uh, there was there was this i know the book's name the book's name is uh, fear of freedom or Escape from Freedom, it was th- two names in UK, and, and it was written in, like, late 30s, and it was kind of describing why Hitler came to power. Yeah. And the idea was the fact that as we have given ourselves more political freedoms, we have kind of driven away, we, we have kind of left, we, we, we're becoming more and more alone in the world. For example, when the world became more and more secular, you kind of lost your church community for that, that, that you relied on help. And when you when when you lost your king, you lost someone who told you what to do, stuff like that. Yeah. And it was it was very interesting, but and I and I believe that something of that sort could definitely be happening here because thinking is hard, and when you have someone, basically, 
Uh, and this also kind of plays itself because there is this common held belief that those up there in power, they must be smart and competent, otherwise they wouldn't be in power, right? <laughs> and this is, the, this is the idea. Well, if you believe that they're smart and competent, that they, if you believe that they know better, if you believe these authorities, then, you know, you don't, it's easier for you. It's just easier for you to live. Okay? Yeah. And this, this, is, this is kind of the idea. And uh, I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I want to be like that. And this is, it is like this. It's this is not a show about like prescribing one political view or another, as I posted on Twitter. This show is all about. Well, my job as a journalist is not to vote for one side or another. It's not about. It's not about vo- voting for a side of the discussion. It's making sure the discussion is clear, understandable, and the rules are being fo- followed. So, if some, if one side or another, and it doesn't matter which side, makes a stupid argument and they commits a logical fallacy or refuses to think or outright lies. I am going to punch them. <laughs> that's my job as a journalist. Th- that's what I do. Yeah, I, I like so. that picture you sent me of Spider. I'm a journalist. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's how I that's how I treat my job, and this yeah. is important, and that's that's what this show is about. For those of you who have stuck around here by this point, but uh, and all the all this history, which which took a long time, it's it's very important because. Uh, this is why I recommend listening to history shows, because how? Because a lot of people state that they don't know their place in the world. Well, how would you know your place? How can you possibly know your place in the world if you don't know where you're coming from? If you don't know what made you really, what happened before? Yeah, it's all, com- I mean, it's, all but- it's all complicated, actually. Yeah, Chris, have you ever read any of Robert Heinlein's work? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. He, I um, grew up. I grew up with sci-fi because that was the official literature of the Soviet Union. Yeah, I just wasn't sure how much of his stuff would have been common over there. I mean, I figure they would probably get a hard on for Starship Troopers as it was written, not the movie. <laughs> but um, I did... actually really enjoyed the movie a lot. Oh, don't get me wrong. I like the movie too, but for the exact opposite reason that I liked the book. Yeah, you know, Heinlein was a pacifist for starters. Yeah. <laughs> Do you read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress? I sadly have not read that book. Give it a try. Because, I mean, it's not as good as Starship Troopers, and it's a lot more thick in places. I mean, I listen to the audiobook version, as I do with a lot of stuff, just because of the nature of how I tend to spend a lot of my time. Um, But as a result, I was able to just tune my brain out whenever he starts talking about, like, his theoretical computer stuff, because Heinlein being a... you know, in an engineering kind of field when he was in the Navy was... It, it lent for... It was really cool when he was working on the power armor stuff for Starship Troopers. It was kind of mind-numbing when he was talking about stuff having to do with, like, hydroponic, uh, subterranean moon farming, or not even that so much as, like, the, the computer reading things with dot matrix paper, or uh, the, you know, the, the Algerian-style... Uh, terrorist, not terrorist, like rebel resistance cells. And the uh, basically the reason I bring this up is if you were to read a copy of Starship Troopers and nothing else by Heinlein and someone asked you, you know, oh, what political ideals do you think this person has? You know, it, you if you had a particularly limited, you know, level of nuance, you might say, oh, he sounds kind of like he might be some kind of fascist. If you were handed a copy of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress and asked to read through it and then asked, you know, without having ever heard of or read Starship Troopers, 
if you read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and they're like, okay, what kind of political values do you think this person has? You might say, well, this reads kind of like um, Baby's first Ayn Rand. You know, he seems like a kinder, gentler sort of anarcho-libertarian. And the beauty of it, one of the reasons I love his work, is because he is able to make both of them make sense. And he's able to make a lot of things feel very human and well-reasoned and... You know, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll quit harping on that, but that's, that's, you, you made me think of that because to enjoy his work and to enjoy a lot of works that are really great, you have to be able to, or especially to make them, my goodness, is to be able to see things from multiple points of view and to be able to articulate them well. I mean, whenever Sam Harris gets into an argument with somebody and it's going to hell, one of his uh, favorite little logical tools to whip out is to say, I will bet you, in this moment, I can articulate your point of view and the way that you perceive me and what you think about me perfectly. I don't think that you can do the same thing with me. Because usually they're, like, misinterpreting what they think he thinks or whatever, but yeah. And it just or, ju or, just, or just doing this nice thing called straw man. Oh yeah, that too. All right. So, a guy dies, and he goes to heaven. And he shows up at the pearly gates, and he realizes it's a little, it's a little bare up here, and kind of quiet. And he walks up to the gates, and St. Peter is, you know, kind of leaning against the Book of Life, and, uh, you know, twiddling his thumbs. And he looks up, and he goes, oh, hey, uh, a uh, new arrival, hey, welcome, welcome. Um, and he takes his name, looks him up, uh, oh, sure enough, you're in the Book of Life, welcome to heaven. And the dead man says, well, wonderful, thank you. Uh, wow, this is all so impressive. Um, I feel a little lost here. This is really spacious. Do you, do you think you could maybe give me a tour of the place? And St. Peter looks around a little bit. He doesn't see anyone else coming. He's like, I'll get one of the cherubim to watch the gate for me. Sure, come along, man. Let's welcome you to your new home. And so they start walking around, and they enter one of the halls, and they realize there are these gigantic doors that are spaced out from each other quite a bit. And the man looks to the first one they come by. He points to it, and he says, What's behind there? St. Peter says, Here, let me show you. He opens up the door, and as he's reaching for it, the man can hear a bunch of loud shouting and music streaming through. And as he opens the door, he's bombarded with it. And there's people of every age and color dancing around and jumping around, shouting for joy and singing and flailing here and there, rolling around on the floor, speaking in tongues. And he's like, what is this place? And St. Peter just grins and explains, this is where all the Pentecostals and Charismatics are. They're worshiping loud and raucously and throwing their fervor into their love for the Lord. And the Lord is pleased and... Everyone's happy. Come on, I'll show you the next place. He takes him to another one. And he's like, what's behind this door? He puts a finger to his lips, St. Peter does, and he opens up the door, and the man looks inside. There's very, very quiet music playing in the background. There's a whole bunch of people standing in, you know, some of them in clusters, some spaced out, with their heads bowed contemplatively, and their hands clasped in front of them. And he's like, this is where the Presbyterians play pray and worship. Everything's very solemn, very quiet, very respectful and reverent, but hey, they're worshiping in their own way. God is pleased. 
And so they move on. They go through a few different other ones. They see the Catholic room. They see the, uh, you know, the Coptic room and all this other stuff. And eventually, as he's, uh, you know, waving some incense out of his face from the uh, Orthodox room, he sees another door, and he just, the dead guy just reaches for this door. And St. Peter slaps him on the hand. He's like, ow, hey, what was that? What do you think you're doing? The dead guy's taken aback. I, I don't. I, I just wanted to see what was in there. What, what, what's in there? He says, don't go in there. That's the Baptist room. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> wow, this is this is actually really great. And and of course, you know that 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 joke can be switched around depending on what kind of area you're in. Because I, I know that like my grandmother is Catholic. And she still, my mom will still come home from visiting her once in a while and go like, gosh, don't let me ever become like her. She still tells me that her greatest regret in life is that her daughter and her son grew up to not be Catholic. So, I mean, you know. Like, like she like goes to the priest and asks him to pray for her because she doesn't want to take that burden into purgatory with her. Oh, well. Yeah, the reason I like that joke so much, and the reason my old uh, my old religion professor liked that one so much, was uh, denomination is really political over here, and that, that feels kind of silly to say whenever I consider the fact that we at least didn't have a thirty year war over it like uh, Western Europe did. But uh... oh well, it was a more of a political thing about the Holy Roman Empire, which is neither Roman, neither holy, nor an empire really. But you know, yeah. Oh, of course. People need need things to fight about. Yeah. The Habsburgs. They fucked it up. They fucked it like it was one of their big-chinned cousins. No, Habsburgs, Habsburgs were, were actually kind of nice. Now, Hohenzollerns. These guys, you have to watch out of them, yeah. Oh, I, I like them, but only because of the similarity to, like, your Warhammer Fantasy-style Empire stuff. Uh, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure the Habsburgs were great. I, I actually still really like Gotha, Halte, Fanstein, Kaiser, and all that. But Hashtag know, don't hate on the Habsburgs. <laughs> uh, but, um... I, I won't go into it too much, but I mean, the, um... I mean, that was one of the things I, I, I had, like, done some research on that I think is probably a little bit less interesting than all of the stuff on the Puritans. is just that, um... I mean, we have an entire denomination of, hold on, might be like three denominations that resulted entirely from the Civil War. One of those being the Southern Baptist Convention. And that was basically um, James Henley Thornwell, uh, if you guys were to look him up. There's a book that I, I had read during grad school and I referred to a little bit for this one, only a little bit though, called The Metaphysical Confederacy. And that'll go into a lot of the... Um, theological differences that went into the sectional crisis. Um, and a lot of it had to do with, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the institution of slavery. There's no getting around that. Um, and, and where the, you know, the place of the white man was. And th those same kinds of um, shame and guilt things ended up, that, that, that were in the difference between the Anglican and Lutheran uh, churches that would have populated most of the oh, well in Baptist of course it would have populated most of the south um, and the difference between the puritanical roots of the north um, heavily affected abolitionism and slavery 
most abolitionists were basically arguing from a spirit of the law, uh, you know, personal guilt, you're taking part in something sinful and wrong, therefore you should stop. Uh, kind of argument, whereas a lot of the people in the South, uh, the pro-slavery folks, uh, what, regardless of geography, were arguing oftentimes from a letter of the law, you know, the, the Bible says I can do this, so I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, uh, kind of thing, even though, uh, but, and, and you, of course, by the time the Civil War had developments in slaveholding practices where uh, people would at least try to make the appearance of being like a kindly father figure to their slaves. And, oh, I treat them so well. I mean, they, they get their food and stuff, and I don't beat them as much as my dad used to. So, I mean, really, is, am I doing anything sinful here? And, you know, the, the, the amount of rationalizing for that was voluminous. Thomas Clarkson. Thank you. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Um... That Hammond was, like, at one point governor of South Carolina, so he was a big fucking deal. And um, Thomas Clarkson was an English abolitionist. And basically, anytime you see theologians get into abolitionism, it becomes a letter of the law versus a spirit of the law kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it, it becomes their justification for the institution of slavery as well as racism. And in the case of James Henley Thornwell... Um, easy to get him and Hammond mixed up, uh, you might notice. <laughs> I was having that problem even in grad school. Um, he kind of oversaw the split of the Baptist Convention into the Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention because, well, all those Southern Baptists, um, well, they didn't want to be joining in with, this is to horribly oversimplify it, they didn't want to be joining in with the Baptists who were railing a little bit too hard on their peculiar institution of slavery in the South and, uh, you know, or or if you want to give him a more generous uh, descriptor, they were they they felt more strongly about states' rights or some such, and they basically were like, no, we're gonna keep our political toys over here so that our preachers aren't strong armed into teaching politics that they don't believe in or that their congregation doesn't believe in, and um, that kind of leads me into some of the reflections in modern day stuff. I forget the name of your guest in the Gay Conspiracy Exposed episode. Uh, what was their name again? Just just, Alka. just call okay. her Alka. I, I right, wouldn't right, right. want to reveal their yeah. their name. I'm sorry, it wouldn't yeah, be no, really comfortable um, for me. Really. <laughs> when, when, uh, when you and Alka were on, um, and we were talking about... Um, you know the discrimination between against uh, you know LGBT people by uh, Christians specifically. Um, one thing came to mind, and it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. There's a I, I forgot until my mom was talking to a my my younger sister's boyfriend very recently, like earlier this week, a couple nights ago. But um, there was actually something that made national news here in South Carolina when um, I don't know if they have these in your schools around there, Chris, but. They call them gay straight alliance clubs, where basically, um, and these are more common in college campuses, mind you, but it's basically a thing where, you know, LGBT people will get together with people that are not LGBT themselves, but they're allies to them. You know, they believe that they are also decent people, basically. They get together and they just do shit. You know, they have fun together and, you know, try to normalize that. So it's essentially so it's essentially a club for people who want to yeah want and, to have and they want to show solidarity in that with 
the members of their community who might be otherwise ostracized by their sexuality. Um, and whenever uh, one of the local high schools around here uh, ended up having one, the principal of this high school basically like had people out there like religious groups coming out there and like doing prayer vigils where like you'd have church congregations standing around the school grounds you know openly praying against the sinful influence that was clearly coming over his school and how as a born-again christian he just couldn't lead a school in which such things were allowed to happen, which I basically took as, oh, that God gosh darn, these darn kids are having unmarried sex with their members of their same sex instead of the opposite now. This ain't okay. It's only okay if you're fucking in the bleachers when one's a boy and one's a girl. Glory to communism. <sighs> Glory to communism indeed. Well, um... That is one thing I was curious about, though, um, because I have had uh, one friend try to uh, basically say that, you know, Lenin made uh, homosexuality legal in the Soviet Union. But I also remembered what you were talking about with... Um, uh, n n no, who, who, who told you okay, that Okay, they shared it from thing. a meme page, dude, okay? So, I mean, I, I, that's all I can really say. But I remember what you were talking about with um, the KGB books. It's kind of not... It, they they didn't make it legal in any way or form. You could. It it was like this: if you if you got raped in the showers, then a KGB officer could come to you and ask you, "Did you enjoy being raped in the showers?" And if you would obviously respond, "Well, no," and the KGB dude would say, "Well, you didn't respond in enthusiastically enough. You're a criminal now." Yeah. So. And then you were a criminal. Well, I'm sure it's all lies because you're a horrible, evil, bourgeois Nazi or something like that. All the things. <laughs> but, um... Yes. To, to basically, like... Probably. Maybe. To, to, to touch on how that's, like, evolved, I think that... And I think that it's similar to the undertones that they were having with the schisms over slavery. I think that a lot of the... Uh, the discrimination of targeting because it's 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 it is targeting of lgbt people in america is based on posturing it's the same kind of reason that we you know make it so that you're not allowed to buy alcohol on sunday in this state does it serve any real purpose wait no well we over here in latvia we we you can't buy alcohol from Eight and you can't buy alcohol from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. in the night. You yeah, can't well, buy. They, they have it like, I think it's like 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. or something like that around here. It's it's different in, from state to state. Like, I remember in Georgia when they made it so that you could go in at midnight, and I thought that was friggin' like land of milk and honey as far as late night, you know, grad school booze runs went. But what I mean to say is. It accomplishes nothing to tell people that they're not allowed to buy alcohol on Sunday. What does it do? It makes you look like you're a pious and humble and godly person. They shouldn't be buying alcohol on the Lord's Day. I mean, but are you then, you know, not going to be looked upon as badly for lining your pockets with uh, taxpayer money? Well, given South Carolina local politics... No, that it actually does the trick for you. It makes you look nice and pious while you are sinning in your greed. You are right there with young Goodman Brown at the Satan Palooza, 
worshipping the almighty dollar. Or, or whatever other thing it might be. It may be that, you know, um, you know, you get people saying, you know, homosexuality is sinful and evil while they're, you know, sending nudes to their boyfriend. Or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's being able to target a minority with a open and outward, uh, as the Bible would call it, sin that is different from the rest of you. I mean, because I, I don't know the, percentages off the top of my head, but I know that it's got to be, like, probably less than 10% of the population is actually... Well, talking, talking, talking about nudes uh, to people, I heard that in America, basically, I don't know, I I didn't have cool phones when I was yeah. growing up, okay, but uh, I, like, so I didn't do this texting yeah. thing, which apparently is I was slow rage, on that bandwagon, but so I've, go on, sorry. Uh, basically, the idea is, like, Technically, if, like, you're a 16-year-old kid and you send pick of your boobs or something to another 16-year-old kid and you exchange such <clears throat> pictures of erotic nature, then that apparently makes yep. you sex offender. it's child pornography. What the... What the bloody you're... hell? I'm sorry, I'm getting really rude <laughs> here, but this makes no sense. They're kids. I mean... Yeah. I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry to present it this way to all all the people with probably higher standards or different standards than my own, but you can't beat sex. <laughs> sex is... Sex has more than a million years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you that's... don't. It has, it has, like, it has, like, all the humanity and it's back, and, and like, as, it, it's, it's, it's been there before yeah. we were there. Sex has been there like, all the time. You can't beat sex. Like, well, it's impossible. Keep in mind, you, you keep in mind you're talking to in a lot of cases you're talking to people who believe very literally that the creation story in Genesis happened exactly as it was said to have happened and that is exactly how humanity came to be. So in that case, no. That is a bit that is that is that is a bit weird because well like my grandma didn't take it that way because she was a, a doctor, a surgeon and it's like, well, how she viewed the Bible was basically like, well, we have first century humans. They they really can't probably understand all the complex concepts, so let's just put some ideas of, say, um, days to them. Yeah. Stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that'll work. You know. Well, and, and that's, so, uh, that's the kind of place like, where, uh, you know, a lot of thinking people end up in, um, but in, in the modern world, but... A lot of people, that's why you'll see, like, especially in places like Texas, you'll see people having major issues with the school districts being told they're not allowed to teach evolution anymore because, you know, people don't think it's biblical. And, well, I mean, technically, okay, sure, it's not, but, I mean, and, and then you'll have people getting mad, like, whenever I, like... I won't go into that can of worms, but you like if you, or if you teach other religions or teach about other religions, like if you have a comparative religion class, people are going to get mad because what if my kid questions their faith? And usually, the the you know the the narrative that they'll try and like take the compromising road on is they'll say, well, these are the kinds of things that should be taught at home. You know, I want to teach my kids about whether or not the world was created by God. In the, according to the Genesis narrative, or if evolution is a thing, but that cuts out scientific discourse as well. 
and you know, and then it moves the same way into the homosexuality or any kind of LGBT. Now the transgender, um, now that that's exploded into the public domain, not public domain, um, the sphere of discourse, you know, like uh, one state up from me, I'm actually rather surprised that North Carolina managed to be more, uh, you know, anal about this kind of thing. <laughs> I said anal when talking about LGBT stuff. I'm an adult. Um... I'm surprised that they actually managed to beat uh, South Carolina in being more discriminatory and curmudgeonly because they had they, it's being referred to as the bathroom bill um, in that um, people who are born uh, you know assigned yeah 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 I I know I, I know about the bathroom bill but the thing is what I wanted to comment on that is like don't you guys like have real problems. Like- when, if you can like afford to just discuss which bathrooms people should use. Yeah, no, we definitely do. But I mean, I I like to think that that's part of the reason why Donald Trump did so well is because they were able to make the discussions about things that make people really upset and get people really amped up, but that don't actually matter or change anything, like abortion or homosexual rights or lack thereof. And because, I mean, you know, that was the whole one. uh, So many people in this country voted for Donald Trump just because he said, oh, no, I think abortion's bad. And if women have abortions, they should be punished. I'm going to outlaw it. Hey, 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 I'm not for punishing women. But again, like I said, my political views are all over the place. I, for example, I, for example, am against abortions, but I like the idea that my government did this. You know what they did? They basically decided that my government doesn't like abortions. What do we do about this? Well, the main reason of abortions are, like, economical yeah. issues. What do? Oh, well, provide welfare for pregnant women. Make sure that in Latvia, every if you're pregnant, then all the doctor's visits for you and for the kid up to the age of 18 are free. You get 2,000 euros uh, straight up in cash when your, ch- when your kid is born so that you can buy, like, all the necessary basic stuff for it. You get to have a maternity leave of... Uh, 15 months that can also be used by the father you you the family gets to choose all sorts of fun yeah. stuff basically and don't get me wrong i'm actually in a pretty similar boat there i i really hate and dislike abortion but i also it just it just that basically if 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 See, the thing is, prohibiting it will not change the problem. Right now, our abortion rates are at all-time low because people can actually afford yeah, to exactly. have babies. And and that's what I wish. But but there is a huge reticence in America to look at anywhere outside of our own borders and say, hey, maybe they have an idea. Maybe we should use that. Because, for whatever reason, we're the best. We're God's shining city on a hill. And I didn't even get into all that nonsense, but... A lot of, of American exceptionalism is ingrained in our religion as well. Part of the enlightenment, the enlightenment, the awakening movements were all about, hey, we need to get more uh, Christian around here because, well, God's made us a special place to be over here and be Christian, away from all the silliness that's happening in Europe. And in U- over over in Europe, we were like, oh, look at the silliness that's happening that's happening yeah, in the U.S. Well, funny how things change right but i think that that has shaped into what we're facing a lot is uh american exceptionalism became a big thing and you know around the same time that nationalism was happening but here's here's one of the big differences we came out of the 20th century with almost no damage 
And Pearl Harbor doesn't even compare to, like, one of the cities that we firebombed or something like that over in Germany. <laughs> oh. oh, how... How about Latvia? Oh, gosh. We were... We... <laughs> it, it was a thing, you know, yeah. the war. It happened. Yeah, so... I think that all of that, basically that just affirmed American exceptionalism for a lot of people. And if you go through a dispensational view of history where you believe that everything is leading up to a certain point in a divine plan, and that everything happens for a reason and that's why history is unfolding the way it has, then you could look at the 20th century and think, yeah, uh, it's pretty safe to say that America is on the right track and God likes us best. You weren't occupied. You weren't uh, annexed and occupied by commies. Then, okay, annexed and occupied by Nazis. Then, uh, annexed and occupied by commies again exactly. for fifty years. Yeah, that's well. Here, you're getting this Calvinism thing back in here again. Remember the influence that um, you know the predestination, and even if not predestination, the Protestant work ethic that came out of the Netherlands that filtered over here with the age of colonialism and exploration. You know, it's this idea that, like, well, if uh, if good things are happening to me, that must mean that God really likes me. And if you're poor, well, it must mean you pissed God off somehow. And I think that's where a lot of the reticence to engage in welfare comes in. And that leads into another thing that we were talking about a little bit. You know, you, you get the whole, uh... oh gosh, what was it? Crap, my brain's starting to fizzle out on me here. Uh, but the, like the welfare for mothers with abortion and stuff, and they're like, well, they're only having unwanted kids because they're having sex and they shouldn't be, uh, you know, as if they weren't doing it too. Uh, but um, by the way, interestingly enough, Calvin, uh, when, I, when I mentioned glory to communism, I'm not even joking because Calvinists weren't really, you know, a lot of these reformed congregations were into this abolishing of private property. Yeah, uh, that is really interesting stuff. I mean. This proto-socialism was a thing. Yeah. Sell, your, sell all your belongings and give them to the poor. You know, kind of stuff. It, there is precedent for it. And that's why people so often get away with going, Oh, Jesus was a commie hippie Jew. He would have liked uh, everyone on the American left. But, um... You know, that's one of the other things that get brought in there is, um... Fuck me. I'm just, like, completely blanking out. Degradation. That, there we go. I think I found the thread again. So, one of the other things that people will point to as a reticence to engage in any kind of state assistance is, well, that's the place of the church. The churches are the ones who should be giving out charity and giving of it willingly, not having it taken from you by the government because apparently Americans are still a little bit sore about taxes. You know, 7076, uh, big, big surprise, right? But, uh... <laughs> Um, one of the things that comes in here is you notice, uh, someone gave a TED talk about this recently, as civilizations industrialize and they start to secularize. And maybe we've resisted that more than Europe because of how um, American exceptionalism and theology and, you know, Christian fundamentalism came hand in hand. And we had theocratic colonies in here, almost all of the... I mean, you remember in Young Goodman Brown the bit about uh, his uh, grandfather whipping a Quaker woman. Quakers are pacifists. One of, one, like of the more, one of the more interesting things in Europe is that, uh, guys, it's not like... Well, you escaped to America not because you were, you were seeking freedom. It's just that you wanted to be even more puritanical and radical than we in Europe 
were used to. Yes, like, but also, I mean, in in England, you were going to get oppressed, you know, no matter what, you were at some point or another. I mean, hey, they by could that very time, well have been leaving for freedom as well as looking to not necessarily be free um, for anyone else who comes into. The by area. that, but by yeah. that, by that time, we were serfs. Okay, yeah. So, but who am I to complain? <laughs> Yours is not to question, only to obey. Oh man, oh, I, man. I like Iron Maiden. <laughs> Also, oh, yeah. one of the one of the more interesting things, like I don't know, to turn this into a modern aspect is that you know this this judgment of of beliefs is is and we we've been we've been bashing the right a bit. It's time for the left. Like today, I read uh-huh. an art- I, I today I read read an article from the Atlantic, mm-hmm. uh, but basically that article was about about the fact that. Uh, some dude couldn't grasp the idea of prog rock. He told he he wrote an article stating that prog rock was too white and King Crimson King Crimson actually sounds awful. He didn't get a lot of uh, likes on that article there because King Crimson rules. <laughs> no, but really, I mean King Crimson is amazing. Don't diss King Crimson. I'm not. Ever. Well, yeah, but the thing is, this this idea is that. We allow ourselves to be defined too much, but by, by by the things that we like, by the things that we kind of believe, and this is both ideological and religious. I mean, yeah, Christianity. If you're a Christian, it kind of goes through all all the parts of your life, but that's not the only thing that you are. You also have a lot of these other social roles. You yeah. have a lot of functions, a lot of things, and and we just allow ourselves to be defined by by a lot of a lot of these things. Which is, I think, kind of wrong because, like, I especially again and again, I'm mentioning the transgender thing, but the fact that the person is transgender doesn't mean they will certainly vote one way or another. That's not everything they are, you see. Yeah, certainly. And not. the, the fact mean... that and the fact that we basically uh, kind of denigrate all this and kind of reduce this to just this one thing, I th- I, th- I find that kind of wrong. Then again, there are people who are, like, not even wrong. I mean, have you seen Time Cube? I don't think I have. See, uh, the idea of not even wrong is, is, is an interesting concept, because, you know, you know that 2 plus 2 is 4, and that's true. Well, if mm-hmm. you would say 2 plus 2 is 5, then you would say, no, that is wrong, and but you can show why that's wrong, and what's wrong with it, and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if someone says that 2 plus 2 equals moon landing was faked... Then you're at a, at a loss there because wait, wait what? Oh, I get what you mean. It's like th- that is not even wrong, and and there is <laughs> and, and the, the most. It's like people who are wrong can be you know you can explain what went wrong and what wasn't maybe worked out or something. But the biggest issue with with everything is that uh, yeah. Not e- being not even wrong is a mm, a special case, so to speak. But yeah. then there's this time cube, and uh, I will post a link to this. I, I really cannot. Ex- this is something. Time cube is something that I cannot explain. But uh, as we have time, uh, I will just send a link to to, to you, David, and I want okay. you to see this. Already, it 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 it's an old page. It has died a long time ago, but people have actually saved it on the internet. 
Wow. For preservation, it's that stupid. Now, let us wait. Alice will, Alice will edit this out. Just take a look at Time Cube. This is Time Cube. Enjoy. Are you trying to comprehend Time Cube now? I have read this, th these chaotic verses. My mind is tainted. <laughs> Glory to <laughs> Lord Zinch! <laughs> <laughs> This is yeah yeah you get the point. Uh, is this is this is time cube. It it technically makes sense. Don't give it that kind of credence. I'm just <laughs> Word God is bad math. What? <laughs> Time cube makes you cry, children. <laughs> Use math to save well, the, the first. <laughs> I shall put this. I shall put put a link to this because really, if you once you see time cube, you cannot unsee time cube. <sighs> and it's and it's there. It's like it, it proves too. It, it proves Lovecraft was right all along. It's it's there. Oh man! Wow. I'm I'm. Hold on. Opposites create, not God, who equates queer creator and masturbation creation of evil oneness educators. That's not a sentence, damn it! <sighs> Children will be blessed for killing of educated adults who ignore false four simultaneous days. Who ignore false simultaneous days is, is underlined. Same earth rotation, practicing evil oneness. One is all, all cups. Upon earth of quadrants. Of quadrants is uh, like, uh, you know, it's again... It's again specifically stated there. Evil adult crime versus youth supports lie of integration. One educated are our most dumb. Not one human except dead one. Ones there are uh, like actually, uh, well, the numbers. Man is paired to half for self. One, one of God is only one quarter of God. You know, I'm reminded of a day when I, they had a guy given a lecture on robotics uh, when I was younger, and he was talking about how, um, you know, and this was a, like early 2000s. See, the thing is, if you believe something hard enough, if you believe something hard enough and you let that define you, then if you allow that, your set of beliefs and your your prejudices and your biases and whatever define you and you let that take over, then you get the time cube eventually. Yeah, yeah, basically. That is a terrifying... Yeah, that, that deserves to be saved for the, for the benefit of letting people stare into the abyss for a little bit and have the abyss, like, try to deep throat them. Sweet it's like, mother. And, and it's a long, it's a long one. Yes, Fraudulent oneness of religious academia has retarded your opposite rationale brain to a half-brain slave. You ignore three or four days. Force four days on Earth. They already exist. Four horsemen have four days in only one Earth rotation. Four angles stood on four corners. Four corners rotate to 16 corners, which equal to four corner days. Teachers are evil liars. The oneness of God is stillness. Death. You were oneness retard on the earth opposites all your life. Love of God is hate of children. Support time cube or be cursed. And we're not lying here. 
you're this, you're this gonna have been... you're gonna make me have to like put trigger warnings in every time I have to see the word four. Or the letter, or the number four. Jeez, look what you've done in my brain. Uh, of course, this is extreme cases, but in the end, well, you're getting tired and it's getting late here, but... See, people, <laughs> when I'm making sure that you are thinking and that you're being rationalized, like I said, this is taking it to the ultimate, ultimate level. Yeah, I'll say. this is long. This is very long. This is... I I believe that there are he has some diagrams there too, but I believe that there are people who have dedicated many hours. I'm sorry, there are people who have dedicated many hours in trying to comprehend what's written there. Oh, and it's not easy. Yeah, I, I was just sitting there trying to imagine the kind of mind break it would take to just go through all this. Ugh. Chris, um, before because it sounds like we're starting to like run out of steam here. Can I can I talk to you a little bit about the tanky stuff? A little bit. Oh yeah, quick, sure. Cause... Well, uh, but yeah, uh, after about two hours, we've gotten to the point where, mm, and this was my thought all along. But actually, it was because I don't want everyone turning into time cube. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's time a... cube. Time cube people politicizing everyone is a bad idea. It's a really bad idea, man. Don't do it. Yeah, well, the scary... I think probably the scariest thing that could be used for a real-world application in there is the just intense anger and distrust towards education. Don't get me wrong. I, like, I think that everything should be questioned, but disbelieving everything just for the sake of it is just as stupid as believing everything for the sake of it. Um, and one of the reasons that... You know, I was talking earlier about the, um, you know, the decline of spirituality and the secularization of culture is because it, it, it's tied to the same thing you were talking about, Chris, with the um, with the way that people will move away from freedom in favor of having things decided for them, you know? And I think that, in a lot of ways, that's the way people will use religion. Because the same way that some asshole in Texas is like, you can't teach my kids evolution because I don't agree with it. The Bible doesn't say there's evolution, so damn it, there ain't evolution! Is the same kind of mentality that goes into someone who writes you saying, well, of course Stalin didn't murder millions of people in your country because... That would be something that a bad person like a Nazi would do. And Stalin wasn't a Nazi. Or you'll have stuff like, uh, you know, goes on in Canada. Sometimes like Jordan Pearson deals with up at the University of Toronto. You have people saying, here is a set of words that you must speak. Or you'll have people on the internet who have their own and, and this is starting to sound kind of woo woo and silly as I'm as I'm rattling it off forgive me dear listener because this is I've, I've been going at this for a while it's been a long day for me but um, what I will say and, and I say that and it's even later for Chris so my misery dick is already the smaller one here <laughs> but um, but you do have to have some idealism you do I mean you do have to have something to follow because honestly this world is so miserable and cynical and everything's so terrible that Again, everything in moderation. You have to have some set of ideas which you follow. Oh, you have of to have some idea of what's good. But it's but just... We're, 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 we are not saying that having just following your ideas is a bad thing. It's just that, again, don't let them rule everything that you know. Yeah. Because, I mean, at but the end of the day... Yeah, I mean... Sorry, go on, man. 
I keep cutting no, you off. Carry on, carry on with the tanky stuff. I'm interested. Okay. Well, what I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, I mean, there there are some people who will try and I'm not. Well, let me tell you what I'm not trying to do because there are those people who will go and atheism is the easiest religion to troll ever. And they'll be like, atheism isn't a religion. How dare you say that? <laughs> and then you're like, haha, you've been trolled. But I'm not trying to do the whole you know like calling atheism a religion kind of thing because I don't think it is. It is the absence of one. Um, and, and until you get into the atheism plus stuff where they are actually actively trying to make it like a religion, but that's, that's a matter of intentionality. And where I see unintentional, and I'm not outright saying that tankies are a religion either, or that neo-Nazis are a religion, but damn if you can't look at people like this who have overall rejected traditional religion and have found its counterparts elsewhere and you know you, you could look at the neo-nazis and how they uh you know look at the turner diaries you know even though a lot of these people are you know their own brand of really wacky and playing it fast and loose christian a lot of the ones that are you know third reich style um you know atheists will find new holy texts and they may not think there is true holiness in them but you know they still had their rituals and their relics and you know like the ori like the original uh, swastika from that one riot Hitler took part in touching every new flag to impart its blood power onto it from when someone got shot and bled on it um, and you can't look at the Maoists in the Great Leap Forward walking through the fields with Mao's little red book rattling off passages from it and not see the fervor of religion in there. Religion is at the heart of humanity, and it's it's like sex, and that not not quite that it's been around before us. Maybe humans, as we recognize them, though, maybe it's been longer than our modern humans. We we can't really be a hundred percent sure of that. I don't think, but it's so integral. Myth making and storytelling is so integral into the way that we shape narratives because I mean wh what have we just been doing this whole time I've been trying doggedly albeit to shape some of this into a narrative and point out how other people have been doing the same thing with the you know from Nathaniel Hawthorne to you know the people who came before him uh, yeah so I mean if we just try and wipe all of the ideals away all the idealism away I mean Chris you know exactly what happens that's how we get the Horus heresy am I right Oh man, let's not speak about tragic events in the past. And if you don't know what Horus Heresy is, that's too bad. Yeah, that's that's where you get the space atheists being like, no, we're space atheists now, we're too good for religion. And the religious guy's like, wait, what? What do you mean we're too we, good for religion? I made this have... awesome church for you. And he's like, no, you're a space atheist now. He's like, well, I gotta find something to worship. <clears throat> Hello, Zinch. Yeah. What's about, up? Hey, kid, wanna buy some chaos? <laughs> And then and, and then and then the space cells went like, screw you. We're gonna make our own god. <laughs> hey, this is a god of, of desire and mark and everything. Oh no, it's eating us. It's eating us. <laughs> oh no, it's eating us. <laughs> and it's and it's touching us in places they didn't know existed. <laughs> oh man. Well. See, Warhammer Warhammer 40k is best explained as uh, imagine. See, the, ima imagine that that you have these space aliens. Who are like uh, they're horrid creatures. They 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 uh, basically they force sterilize those who disapprove of them. Put people in concentration camps. Uh, use pheromones to mind control their own population. 
and are essentially, well, uh, and, and also they bombard planets from space and kill millions of civilians. They are the good guys of the setting, because they ask before they do all these nasty things. Yeah. They're called the Tau. No, seriously, they're the good guys <laughs> of the setting. The, the race which are bent only for war and destruction, who grow stronger from... Uh, they grow stronger from war, and they only care about warfare and uh, beating each other up. And, and like are the, basically a biological weapon because they're also mushrooms and they if you beat them they release spores and they they grow again and so they, you are locked in an endless war. They're the comedy re comedic relief guys because they speak like <laughs> English chavs. They're the orcs. Oi, what's is you on about with your fancy talk? Uh, oh man. Yes, that. But th th that's the thing. Welcome to Warhammer. Yeah. It's not a nice it is not a very nice place, but this is this is why we love it. Yeah. And and, and it, it takes Chaos it and the takes Imperium everything. do the same kind of thing and taking a mirror to us and seeing, you know, this is the absolute worst in you. This is the communion of your race. I'm gonna bring it back to Young Goodman Brown again. And, you know it, it's lampooning it to some degree, like with the you know Guardsman, you died without permission. Thirty lashes. You know, but at the same time, it's it's taking something that's real in us and turning an ugly, hideous distortion of the reflection on us. By the way, by the way, by the way, about about this guardsman you died. This is the reason why suicides are our crime in prisons. Yeah, because technically, while you're in prison, the state controls uh, controls basically your body. Yeah, that's the that's the general idea. That's that. That is why, because you are not in control of your body. You are not allowed to do that. The state does this, and this is why we have like this. This is why suicides are illegal in prisons. And kind of the original thought was that this is kind of inhumane because it dehumanizes people, which is why corporeal punishment is considered wrong. But that's about it, because uh, all these direct, direct punishments kind of deprive you of humanity. Yeah. But there are no other reasons. Again, extreme darkness! Wow, fun! Hooray! Uh, we are uh, uh, we are actually not terrible people. We're no. just, you know... We we enjoy weird things. Well, I think there comes a point, and I, I realized this in college, because I, I, you know, I'd had a, pretty, a, a relatively charmed life, I would say, compared to most of the population of the planet. Um... But I came to the point where I was like, well, humanity really sucks sometimes. And I think that was, you know, you've got to wrestle with that moment. And you've got to either learn to just be sad all the time, or you've got to learn when you can laugh, you know? Yeah, I mean, taking... See, this is, this is why Soviet political jokes are also all, all bleak and terrible. Because, honestly, honestly, well, what else are you going to do? You can, you can, like, sit down and cry about it. Or you can just, you know... Turn turn a bug into a feature, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is this is what we all do. This is what. So at the end of the day, just I think people need to remind themselves that we're just trying to pull through this day and then the next one and then the next one. Everyone's trying to make make things happen, and uh, I do believe that there are very very few people who go outside and leave lead their days thinking, oh boy, oh boy, how can I be a terrible person and cause misery to someone today. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think many people do that, if any of that. But uh, okay, surely there must be some weak serial killers and, and the like. Oh, of course. But at the end of the day, we're we're all human. 
this this fact that we're all human and that some humans have some different ideas about what's what well, they're just that's just perfectly normal yeah and it's just that well as the bible says well love your neighbor that involves loving him even if he looks different from you has very weird beliefs of you but that's kind of that is the <clears throat> pro tip th- that that's that's the hard part about you know being a actually a christian like loving those who are actually different from you that's that's the important part yeah because then you get in and then you get into the can of worms of how do you love someone and what about when loving is not always nice and well there we go let's just settle on that one let's just we all at the end of the day we all just have to settle on something there yeah Oh boy! Well, uh, thank you for this very extremely chaotic conversation which lasted for almost three hours. Dave, <laughs> I have a letter for you right here written, and this time normally not, not <laughs> including not including Ameristan. Chaos uh, is the only true answer. <laughs> no, that would be Stalin. Oh, right. Oh, someone... Ca- if, if any of you are 40k fans, I want to write a fanfic where Soviet Union tries to beat back Chaos Incursion. It probably would have sold really nicely back in the day. Stalin staring, uh, Stalin staring Zinch in the face and stating, "No boy." No. <laughs> well, just thank no. you very much for this opportunity, wait, 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 Chris. What? what? This, is, this is not over. Oh, okay. This th- here comes the question which I ask everyone, uh, even after our very actually, actually kind of deep philosophical discussion, and I really love this. Uh, one. What can people take away from this? What can we learn from all this situation? Even just summarize it in a sentence. Okay. And two, can you recommend a movie, a book, or something to, to someone? And then I'll do the same answers after after you. After you, my dear guest. Okay, well, thank you. Um, all right, well, let's take away from this. Um, I would... Uh, you, you might get a sense of anti-Americanism from me from this, and I don't want that to be the case. Um, but... At the, at the end of the day, as much as I like to, you know, throw out my inflammatory and iconoclastic, you know, hypocrisy as an American tradition, it's something that you'll find in everybody. Because at the end of the day, I think it's rooted in everybody wants to think that they're a good person. Everyone wants to think that they're the hero of their story. and uh, Or the story, really. And um, at the end of the day, I think uh, what I hope is that everyone will go through life... Um, and that I will also get better at this as time goes on, because we all have our failings there, uh, in seeing the story from everyone else's point of view and making it, trying to make it a big enough story with, so that everyone has rooms for their, uh, you know, their little piece in it. Uh, as for books, um, geez, that's a hard one. Well, if you're looking for some good soul-crushing sci-fi, give Eisenhorn a read. But uh, as far as uh, you know, thinking stuff goes, um, you know what? This is probably one that people won't hear about too often, but I think it's a valuable one just as a historian. Um, the Cheese and the Worms by Let me pull it up real quick. Carlo Ginzburg, uh, C-A-R-L-O-G-I-N-Z-B-U-R-G. Carlo Ginzburg, The Cheese and the Worms. It's, uh, like, um, it's, it's the story of a 16th century miller in Italy, 
and his weird, weird encounter with the Inquisition. And uh, I like it most because of um, it, it, it kind of is a it's a hist- it's a book for people that um, or rather uh, the, the value I find in it is mostly from a historical context of looking at the main character as the negative space in a drawing. Like, Chris, have you ever tried to like draw a teacup? I literally cannot draw. Well, if you've ever I'm tried, sorry, I'm, I'm good. not talented in this area. I hear you. I'm sorry. Well, if it, I'm not very talented at art either, but if you try to draw a teacup, that handle is a bitch. Like trying to, you know, get the shape right and everything. And the negative space is the space that is the like shape that uh, of the interior of the nothingness inside the ring of the handle. If you draw the negative space, you draw the emptiness inside of the handle, you actually have a better chance of doing it more accurately. And I think that the main character is a good piece of negative space in that he is so outstanding and weird and unusual because he's not a member of the upper crust, but he's very well educated. And uh, look at all these uh, heretical books that he has. Oh, you know what is orthodox by knowing what his unorthodoxies are. Um, you know, you know what is normal for the different social classes of his region and time by knowing that he is weird for being outside of his social class and this and this and that away. And anyway, it's 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 like history with a negative space, and um, that's that's just a, as far as philosophical stuff goes, though. Um, I think the most recent one that I've, I've actually been tackling Marcus Aurelius. Um, yes, good. I approve of this message. And uh, you know what? Because we were also talking about religion and paganism and stuff, give the Havamal a try. I'm most of the way through that one. It's a lot shorter and e- more digestible than than the meditations for sure. But that is supposedly the words left to us by Odin, the All-Father. And, uh, I'm pretty sure I have that in Latvian and, and somewhere in my bookcase. Oh, fuck yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's that. And as far as, um, what was the other question again? Well, you kind of answered both of them. The book and everything. Okay, cool. Well, in my, in my case, in my case, it would be all about just try to be nice. And not yeah. in a stupid way. <laughs> just just in a, in a human way. You know? Try to be as nice and understanding and, you know, have... Uh, like Mark Webber once wrote. And he wrote in this uh, his essay, Politics as a Profession. And he wrote that a modern-day politician needs to be a cynical idealist. He needs to have some ideals, because without ideals and just with pure cynicism, you're just a career politician, then those are all scumbags, because a pure cynicist doesn't, have any, doesn't hold any ideas, therefore he's just there for the money. But if you're just a pure idealist, you will not manage in this cynical world. And this is, I suppose, what can now be said about every one of our listeners. You have to have some ideas so that you don't go insane. But at the same time, well, try your best not to, not not to lose, not to lose the ability to kind of be happy about little things, because those those are important. I mean, really, I I still state that. Um, Still, say that the, the fact that my wife can can sometimes just just be happy about the tiniest stuff, it kind of makes me like really happy myself. 
And about the books, well, this time I would normally recommend Marcus Aurelius' Meditations because uh, I, I fancy myself a stoic. And I'm a huge fan of that book. But, as it comes this time, it's time to scare the shit out of you guys. Uh, try to find the Lectures on Political Philosophy by Alexander Piotrgorsky. Read it and observe your everyday life. Yep. I'm uh, it, going to bed a lot more frightened tonight than I did last night. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> oh, you're you're welcome, good sir. At any rate, we're here, and I hope stuff will... I hope everything will end just just well for everyone. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like... It's not about being right, it's about making the world a better place. Yeah. That's how I see it. Here, here. Okay. And good night, and good luck. I've learned that one. I like that statement. I love it. Here we go. Okay. До свидания, товарищ. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.